Welcome back to another episode of Trip Report. I've been looking forward to this episode for a while now. I had mentioned in several episodes previously that I've been shadowing some psychedelic assisted psychotherapists. And today's guest is actually the first person that I witnessed go through the full day treatment, which is the MDMA with psilocybin and 5-MeO altogether. It was unbelievable to watch the transition and see how he was before and after that treatment and really been looking forward to get him on to tell the story so with that colton welcome to the show thanks man stoked beer it's uh it's pretty cool to be doing this with you since the beginning so yeah been looking forward to it um i guess just to kick things off quickly just a little summary of your military career all right yeah man i did eight years in the marine corps um infantryman a few combat deployments i was in uh fallujah in 03 in the first fallujah the not as cool one and then oh oh Ramadi. Yeah. I mean, kind of a trip that we were both in Fallujah at the same time too. And did you escort any prisoners to the detention facility in Fallujah? Oh yeah, we did. We we took some people from uh, the town of Karma. Yeah. There's like a police station and we picked them up one time and and we were just in the back with them and brought them over there. Dude, we we were on, we were in that prison at the same time, hands down. Like talk about a small world. Man, I definitely didn't see it because if I did, I would have remembered it. Those beautiful eyes. (laughs) No, I would have <laughs> forgot those. So, and I, it would be, it would be so wonderful if we talk about this right now and you were the one that taught the kid, but there was a kid that got off of the convoy and I had to escort him to the restroom and he said, Mr. My name is Michael Jackson. And I just died laughing and was like, I don't know who taught this kid this, but he went around the, the whole time he was in there telling everybody, my name is Michael Jackson. Yeah. Yeah. That was me. I taught that. <laughs> So a couple combat deployments obviously got rough. What was your transition like back to normal life post military? Well, you know, it was, it was an interesting time. I, I, um, I came back from Romadi. It was, and that was probably the most hellish of all the deployments, but I didn't get out right away. I went, I, we actually did a 31st meal. So you did this kind of libo float out of the South Pacific and, it's kind of surreal because it doesn't even seem like it happened. I, don't, I can't really think of one or two memories from that. Yeah. But it was kind of transitional. And, you know, I came home from Ramadi and I was like a different person. I, all of a sudden I wanted to like rush life. I wanted to do all these things. I, I think I got engaged to someone that I knew for less than a year before on leave, like the standard move. And, and then got uh, married like the week before I left for the 31st meal and then came home and that was kind of like the transition period. I was, I was deciding whether I was going to stay in now because I've done eight years and there's, that's kind of a tipping point. And they were wanting me to go to recruiting duty. And I was like, just, there's no way. Yeah. There's no way I can do that. Um, so yeah, uh, I ended up getting out and I was super ambitious though. It felt like I didn't feel any of those feelings yet, I guess. I, nothing had really hit yet. I was, I was like, I can take on the world. In fact, within the first year of getting out, I... I went in and uh, opened a restaurant. I like put everything on the line. My wife got pregnant and we were just going, you know, let's just do it all at once. Yeah. And that's what I really wanted to bring up because it's so often that it's not like, I mean, you do hear the things like, oh, he came back from war and he was never the same. And I don't doubt that that happens sometimes, but I think for most people, it's like a transition to everything starting to just like take a shit. Yeah. And so how did that all unfold for you? Like how long was it until you started thinking like, Hey, something might be up? Well, I think the first round of it, um, and it's been cyclic, but the first round was definitely in 2008 
I kind of put everything online. I got a lot of my friends to invest in this restaurant. People I was really close to put everything out there. Uh, like I said, wife at the time was pregnant at home. Going through it in 2008, you know, the economy just falls apart. We're building a mm-hmm. restaurant. Probably the worst timing of that. So I just put everything into it, everything I possibly could to make it work. And it didn't. It was kind of, I think it might have been my like first real failure, you know. And, yeah. But it was an, a failure since where I put so much into it. Like I lost, you know, I ended up getting divorced. I was losing, I hardly saw the kid at all. I was really, just, it really started to go into that basically just solitude. Yeah. Um, and I think that was the first time I started really thinking like this was some kind of karmic thing. Yeah. Was that. And, uh, so yeah, instead of, you know, taking any ownership in what I was doing, I was just like, you know, at, at that time, obviously we weren't, I wasn't talking about anything. I wasn't really sharing much. There's a couple of people that knew some things, but most of the time it was, you know, it was that you didn't want to share that burden with anybody. So that was kind of all inside. And, you know, I end up kind of no job, nothing. So I, I kind of started from scratch. And one of my good buddies was killed. He was a corpsman. And uh, he, you know, he was just this absolutely outstanding human being that always put other people first. And the way he took care of anyone, like no matter where we were at, he always like, whether it was, you know, civilians or other people, it, it was amazing what he was able to put other people first. And I kind of remember thinking it would be nice to have that kind of uh, selflessness. Mm-hmm. And so I went to get, uh, you know, I'll be a paramedic and kind of went through that. And, you know, was kind of thinking that fire role, that service role, I need to get back into service and started working my way through that kind of point was working for a minimum wage, you know, the first responder actions and uh, worked my way up. Things started getting a little better. Do you feel like that triggered you at all the, doing the first responder stuff? Could be seeing no. like people in traumatic situations again. No, I don't. It's, it's really interesting. I, I always felt like in those really traumatic, my, I kind of slowed down and, and I felt um, almost like I needed to do more. You know, like it was, it was almost some kind of redemption. Yeah. Um, it was almost therapeutic in a way. I mean, if anything, like that would be, you would be the best person to handle a stressful situation like that you know, had been prepared to handle stress in a way that I don't know any other way to train somebody to handle a first responder trauma situation. Yeah. Well, I think with anything, hardship is best trained by hardship, right? Like resilience is, you can't really train it, but, um, I don't know if that's what it was or if it was at that time, subconscious need to try to make up for something I felt like I'd, the karma. I'd done wrong. Yeah. There's so many details to it, but I get, you know, a long story short is I, I worked my way up pretty high, got going, and then another series of events and uh, failures kind of worked their way in. And, and suddenly I found myself again w- without a job, not connecting to my family, not connecting, pushing all my friends away. It was by happenstance that I ended up having to, I had some family issues that were uh, pretty dark. And I ended up having to um, head back to home to help my mom out with some stuff. And um, you know, some family had just gotten into um, drug abuse and kind of left my mom high and dry. So I went back to help her and started working out in my hometown. And then uh, it was kind of a start over moment again. But now I'm like, I've like kind of left everything behind. I'm, I'm re- I really had a tough time connecting with my daughter, which is hard to say out loud. It was like, you know, everyone talks about that, you know, that's like the greatest moment of their life. And and it was like, I love this kid so much, but there was this, 
just unbelievable, overwhelming feeling of you don't deserve this. You know, you don't deserve this, this kind of love or this kind of happiness. And you've taken this away from so many people and people, you know, people, people you don't know. And it almost felt like it started to feel like there was this thing that anybody who got close to me was going to get hurt. Anybody who got close to me was going to suffer because so that I could feel that suffering. Does that make sense? Mm. And I mean, kind of like a curse, like a curse. Yeah. yeah. You know, you, even now you like say you're like, okay, but it's so crazy how the brain will just, yeah. that was real for me. Yeah. And I, that's not something you can talk to anybody about. Right. You know, my, there's zero times you tell that to somebody they're like, Oh man, that sounds tough. Yeah. <laughs> you know, everyone's like, that's ridiculous. You were just doing your job. You were just doing what you needed to do. And so you can't really tell those stories and you can't really say, this is what I think's happening to get where things really started to turn when was, I was kind of in it, just kind of trying to figure things out. And one of the kids I served with ended up reaching out late at night on Facebook messenger or something. And it was something I hadn't heard from in a long time. And, you know, I read it and I was awake, but I was like, man, I don't want to deal with this right now. And this is tough to admit, right? That's pretty fucking embarrassing. That's where my mind was, but I just didn't have anything to give. And yeah, he killed himself that night. And I was like, man, 10 years out or whatever it was, and I'm still fucking this up. And I just started to um, really question everything. Really question how, uh, I don't know, if someone said thank you for your service, it was like just hearing it just made me think like if you only knew, and then just self-deprecation and just like, it was like a reminder or like to the point where I, I didn't have any, I got rid of everything that I had from the Marine Corps. I didn't talk to anybody from my platoons. I didn't talk to anyone that was a Marine. I didn't reach out. I just lived in the shame. And uh, there was a, a few, to me, felt like real mistakes as a leader on the battlefield that I made that ended up in some pretty shitty situations. And man, I just, you know, I couldn't let any of it go. Yeah. Did you seek at this point? I mean, obviously realizing something was off. Did you seek any attention through like the VA or anything? Mm. VA has been an interesting role. When I first got out, I went, was like, I'm going to be proactive about it. Everyone talks about it, you know? And I went to VA. I saw someone, I, it was like unbelievably perfect. This first person I went through and that person I did actually talk to about some deep stuff. And she was like way into it. At the time, I was really into Eastern philosophy, and um, you know, I was um, up here. There's that Deer Park Monastery, mm -hmm. and I was going up there quite regularly, and I was really learning about some of that stuff and some of that. What got you on that path? Uh, it was when I was taking classes down at uh, San Diego City College, mm -hmm. the medical classes or whatever. I was, you know, I just started taking all the classes using the GI Bill, and I took an Eastern philosophy class, and this guy was just the most unbelievable teacher, like the most unassuming Eastern philosophy guy. Imagine if like Andy Dick was teaching Eastern philosophy, yeah. <laughs> like day one of the class, I almost got up and walked out. <laughs> he was so interesting, but he, he just had this unbelievable um, approach to things and the way he taught and 
during that class, you, there's a, you can take an optional weekend up there where you go and you kind of camp out up there and go through the whole program. And man, I just kind of fell in love with it. So yeah. I was going up there a lot. And then Swiss therapist was just really into that. And, um, that was kind of her, she didn't typically practice that, but because we shared that interest, she really used kind of a lot of those methods to talk about things. And I was opening up and then like one day she's like, Oh yeah, I'm transferring out of the VA. That's the VA man. Oh like, my you God. You never have the same doctor. Like when I fill out sheets now that say, so who's your primary care? I just put VA. Cause I don't yeah. know who my doctor is anymore. Oh, I, they yeah. change them every six months. No clue. And then I remember I went in to meet the next one and it was like, all right, start from scratch or whatever. And yep. I'm like, absolutely not. And then you get a turd. And, uh, yeah, exactly. I'm going to tell these stories again. So, uh, yeah, I just kind of had fallen away from it. Boy, I would say that the biggest hardship is trying to find love. Yeah. You know, it's uh, relationships are both the savior and the killer. Mm-hmm. So, you know, through this whole period, it is desperately trying to find love, finding it, and then destroying it, you know, because I get it. It's a sick cycle, but it doesn't seem like it in the time. It's like, oh, poor me, you know. Yeah. Oh, all these bad things happen and you can't take accountability, but you look back, it was your own self-destruction in every single one of them, you know? And, uh, in typical fashion, it was at a point where, uh, after that first suicide, I was really hard on myself. And so I, I, you know, it was like, you need to get help type of thing. People saying that, and you know, they'll find, Oh, you don't know that. Like, there's no help, you know? And it's funny how you start like really attaching to that. You go from kind of this anti-victim to this kind of like the victim is your identity because it's the only thing that makes you unique mm-hmm. about your service or whatever, right? Like it's become such a prominent thing around and you, you know, and I, I, we've talked about like the, you know, every 4th of July, you got to see 600 veterans being like, Oh, how could you put your fireworks out and like stuff? And, I, yeah. and it's mind blowing to me. I'm like, who are you? Why would you say that? But I'm doing the same thing. You know, I'm attaching to this you don't understand me. You know, I got all these issues and just starting to lean into that. And it's interesting. I don't know if that made it worse. You know, maybe it wouldn't have been bad. You know, it's a vicious cycle because then this person you used to be, that was this, I don't know, invincible, right? Invincible Marine Sergeant, right? That's how you believe it. But the, uh, now you're the smallest thing. It's almost like you're just a, a toddler, mm-hmm. which is ironic as we'll talk about later, <laughs> but you're just this, uh, you know, you can't handle anything in life. And people are like trying to, Hey, you need to get help. Oh, why don't you want, you don't want to help me. I'm too not good enough for you. You know, just, Oh, the things you say are just horrible, um, manipulative and just, um, it's just not you, you know, and you can't really just not take any accountability, but it really is a, a whole personality shift. And it's not like you're intentionally trying to manipulate people, but I think you're just trying, you can't figure out how to give yourself anything. And so, you think you can trick other people into it or push them to do it or convince them to do it. It's, um, God, it's a fucking horrible place to be. So not to be too much on a rant, but long story, there you gotta get help. So I go back. Right. And that's kind of the, the beginning of it. I went, to, you know, I went through this, it's a CPT, C, cognitive based therapy, CBT. CBT yeah. yeah. I thought it was cool. The only thing was, it was like, Hey, you got to pick one thing to work on. And, and at the time, that ego is like one thing. I don't have just one thing. Now, now look back, hey, just start with one thing. Yeah. <laughs> you can utilize one it later. Piece at a time, but yeah. I'm like, how dare you say I only have one thing? <laughs> you know, but I went through it and I was like, hey, this is actually, I, I got the, the idea behind it and I, and I worked it. And, I, and then it started in a cycle of like, okay, 
I've got a little um, ground to work as I'm kind of pulling my shit together and then some other event would happen that I would self-destruct and get down and I just kind of was in this repetitive cycle and it always coincided with relationships with um, trying to find love trying to find you know find your worth in somebody else mm-hmm. opinion of you right to find someone else uh, show me what I'm worth I guess yeah. and so it was an impossible place for anyone who took a chance on the love and me part because no matter what they did it was never going to be good enough right because there was so much hatred for myself so I went down that path I went down the CBT I got a little better and then it's funny that I, the timeline seem I, I would like to put years to it but it, it's really hard because it seems right. so fuzzy right so at some point things got really bad where everyone knew in the town right it was like people were talking about it and a friend of mine pushed me a little bit to go to one of those group fishing like they're, they're going to take a group of veterans out fishing and to be honest with you that sounded like an absolute nightmare to me I did not want to do that at all uh, one I don't I did not like being around other veterans because of the shame and you know I told myself oh if it's a group that hasn't been anything hard then I won't have anything in common with them if it's right. a group that has been too hard maybe they'll think my stuff wasn't that hard you know so, yeah. <laughs> but it was an interesting deal you know you kind of pushed me and it was a small group of four guys that all fought in Fallujah and all fought in different battalions. So no one knew each other, all a different perspective of the same battle. And I went down and I actually loved it. It was like, a, I think it was a good breaking point for me to like remember how important is that camaraderie. And there was, there is something about when you get around other guys that have served, there is something that's there. It doesn't matter. It's very rare that I've gotten around other, especially infantry guys, but most most Marines and um, just most military guys in general, you get around them and it's like this instant, like you get, it's like you've always been friends, you know? Mm-hmm. And I've always thought that was very interesting. So we uh, we get down there, we have a good time, but that man, I tell you what, there wasn't an ounce of vulnerability coming from me. Yeah. I, uh, there's no, Mikey, no problems down there, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and I, I thought that was interesting. And I went on my way home, I remember I was on the flight home being like, man, I fucked that up. Like I had so many opportunities. I felt opportunities really open up. And, and Did it seem like other people were? Yeah, yeah, there was a couple of dudes that really opened up. And I was, I was impressed by them. And, yeah, I mean, on the drive, on the flight home, I just remember, th- it was like a real, like, hey, you got an issue with that. And I remember texting the guy uh, that runs the program and being like, yeah, I cannot believe, because I had opened up to him on the phone, mm-hmm. you know. It's really weird. But it was just something about, as soon as I got around Marines, there wasn't an ounce of me that could be vulnerable. But I think that was the first, like, real self-awareness of that and, how important it was seeing, seeing the other guys kind of open up and it really impressed me. So I came home from that and I, and then I uh, went through some growth and I think I opened up a little bit more. I think I opened up maybe a little too much to people that probably didn't need to know things, mm-hmm. you know, like I just started reaching at straws yeah. to people who seemed close, but probably wanted to be close, really didn't know what they were getting involved in. And, uh, it kind of backfired on me a little bit. And yeah. so the, uh, yeah, some rumor mills started going around. It was a pretty small town. And, um, I caught wind of that and boy, did I let that send me down the path again. So I could probably do that story about four or five more times. Yeah. So it's just this repetitive cycle of kind of build up and beat back down. Yeah. And so you had the Eastern philosophy kind of in the background, mm-hmm. um, prior to finding, the facilitators did you do any psychedelic therapy and try that no i've done not therapy okay right like i had some experience i'd had some experience i'd 
I'd hung out with a group of people and we would do kind of a night of hanging out and doing LSD and talking, you know, or I wouldn't say it was really partying, but it, there was, it wasn't, there was no purpose or intent behind it. And I never, to be honest with you, I was, I was a little bit of a control freak with my own self. I never really dove that hard. You know, I would, I'd always take the little bit. Just kind of. I like to stay right. Like I said, I put my toes in the water. Yeah. Yeah. I gotcha. Um, so no, no real benefit from I, those experiences. No. And in fact, there was a one, this group that, you know, they would do DMT and it was like, there's a bunch of people who like were ready to do DMT, you know, it was kind of this, uh, one lady, she'd gone down and done the ayahuasca thing and she'd kind of really taken on a pseudo shaman kind of not never said it, but you know, mm -hmm. she'd bring people over of all different types. We'd all sit there and we'd listen to music and. You know, and everyone would do their DMT experience, and we all go out on the porch and talk about it. You know, and everyone had these profound experience, and I was, I do mine, and I was like, oh man, what's wrong with me? <laughs> like it was, and this was, was colorful, and this was typical DMT, not five MEO. Yeah, just and so was it the same situation where you feel like you took a smaller hit and just dipped your toes in and yeah, didn't probably. have like the full blown experience? Yeah, I don't like. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if I just didn't. Was it visual at all? Oh, yeah, it was visual. It was a little visual. Okay. I just didn't have any, like, you know, people would come out like, oh, it's this warrior. And, uh, yeah. And I would just be like, you're full of shit. No, I hear you. <laughs> like, I'm like, I've seen weird patterns in there. But, yeah, some some of the things that people bring out, I'm not going to say it's wrong, but I'm also kind of jealous. I'm like, why didn't yeah. I get that? You know what I mean? I want some cool stuff. Out yeah, of it. I'm somewhere in between. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like, uh, like, for instance, I never, I could never see... You ever see mall rats? Yeah. Remember we're staring at the thing and all the kids can see the, the schooner? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how I never saw that. Yeah. I still don't know if everyone's just messing with me. Right. <laughs> like, I still don't know for sure. Yeah. Everyone's, are the pictures in there? I never seen them. In the DMT? No, in the Oh, pictures. in mall rats. No, in those pictures. Remember those things that were really popular? Oh, uh, magic eyes. Yeah, the magic yeah, eyes. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's definitely pictures of nah. that. Yeah, man, you gotta you gotta cross your eyes and uncross them or whatever. See, I got screwed up when I was a little kid. My grandfather and all his my uncles used to take me snipe hunting. I was a little kid in the south, you know, and you'd go out there, and we would hunt for these snipes, and they would catch them every time. And I never saw a snipe. They would always say, I "Got away." Man, I for five fucking years, I wanted to catch a snipe more than anything in the world. Yeah. Finally. I think I'm going to catch it. And they just tell me, no, it's bullshit. Now you got to mess with the other kids. And that was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> There's this big plot with magic eyes. That the it? whole world was together just to fuck with you. I think some people are like in on it. And no one's told me yet that it's not real. And I've just been standing in front of these pictures. <laughs> oh, man. No, I never. So, so it's kind of like that feeling a lot. Like, yeah, yeah. Because, so, so things this cycle up and down, up and down. Mm -hmm. What was the ultimate down? And then how did the facilitators come into the picture? So there's two ultimate downs. Okay. The first ultimate down was, it was just like a, a series of events. I, I had spent some time with my daughter and for whatever reason that was the, like this last time I'd spent with her, she'd come out to visit me and we'd spend some time together and it was a long time. It was probably two or three weeks, probably maybe our longest time together. And, and then we drove from, I was living in Tahoe at the time. We drove back to Utah and I dropped her off with my mom because my mom was going to take her back home. And then I drove back across the desert and there's just something happened on that road trip. And I was by myself and I started to really start going in my head about um, what had happened in Ramadi. Like the, 
you know, we've been in one of those situations where, uh, you know, you're trying to do the right thing. You're, you're pretty sure you'd do it the same if you went back and did it. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, an entire family was killed. You know, seven kids, a wife, a mother, infants. And it's, uh, it was, it's haunted me, right? And because of that, uh, it's hard for me to to really look in, at, at my own child and, you know, like I said earlier, like believe that that's, I'm worthy of that. And two, two days after that day, um, our good friend Corman got was killed and he had three daughters and uh, his wife was uh, pregnant with her, with his first son. And he had just the day before received a care package with these two little blue booties in it. That, uh, let him know he's going to have his first boy, you know? And so there was something about this, you know, and for forever, I did hundred percent believe that that was my fault that that happened from, I mean, up until like a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> so, uh, I, uh, you know, I just, there was just so much on that and I, you know, whatever it was with the, it just started in that long like saying goodbye to my daughter that time and then getting on this eight hour drive through the nothingness of Nevada, it kind of sent me just down a dark path and to the point where um, I pulled over on the side of the road. I was like weeping. I couldn't drive. I couldn't see. And then I finally got myself back together and I started hallucinating on the drive. I was seeing, um, seeing kids on the side of the road and I was having like a real psychotic break, you know, like I was like, oh, this is it. And uh, I've kind of always had this fear because let's be honest, like, you know, you've had a couple people on the show have talked about it, but there's something to it. There's something to this, the suicidal thing. Um, I don't think there's any of us that is like in the normal state of mind would say that that's okay. Mm -hmm. And there's none of us that say we just want the pain to stop. I don't think. Right. But there is something, or like would say, oh, I'd, I would be willing to risk other people's pain for my own to stop. But there's something that changes in your mind. And it's like you become this different person who is a little scary that maybe it's, you know, we talk about those demons or whatever, that maybe that they have the ability to take control. And I and actually, um, I think we talked about once, like almost like a... Um, what was that? How would you call it? The, the movie? A final Dead or something? Oh, Final Destination. Final Destination. Yeah. Right? It was like this death, like it was just a matter of time you could fight off, but eventually, it almost seemed like, you know, some of these cats that had, had killed themselves, and there was many, but some of them, you know, you was like, there's no way in hell. So is there a line that, cr that crosses, and you know... Um, where you don't have control anymore. And I started to get worried. Maybe I was headed down that path. I was kind of living a death sentence. And then it came more like, hey, you can't let anybody get close to you. And there was a weird period where I went home and I, I didn't go to work for a couple of weeks and nobody noticed and my family didn't call. And it was just like a weird thing where, um, 
Yeah, I think, you know, my, it's a weird situation where I had a, was in a transition of bosses where one had left and the other one hadn't come in yet. And something went real wrong where I couldn't get out of bed. Um, I couldn't sleep. I was hallucinating at night. I was terrified. I was, every morning I was just hoping I could make it till the sun came up. And I was in so much pain, like physical pain, like my joints were hurting. Every, I couldn't move. I was, I was like basic, basic movements and functions almost seemed impossible. I kind of like I, when I realized I had to do something, I, I would like I'd pull myself out of it a little bit and would do some basic things. I'd get, show up to work for an hour and I'd drive home. And I just lay there and it was, I was, I was, if I wasn't going to kill myself, I was dying, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, a friend of mine had brought up, because, you know, they, at this point now, people are, what the fuck's going on? And I was like, dude, something's wrong with me. It's not, I'm not depressed. Something's real here. This is different. My executive function, you know, a lot, this, no sleep compiles, but it was like I couldn't remember anything. I was couldn't talk really. I, I, I couldn't remember words. I couldn't speak. And um, it was terrifying. And you know, this friend brought up, hey, that she'd clearly been doing a lot of research about it, and um, she was like, hey, you know, there might be something wrong with your hormone, like your endocrine system. And I think at that same time, there was a podcast on, I don't remember who it was, but there was a, a SEAL's wife who was going, came on and um, talked about their life, and he had ended up committing suicide. And she talked about how he had had problems with adrenal glands, and he had no hormones or no testosterone, and a lot of things were messed up in there. So there's actually some physical things going on. So um, I think that gave me like a little spark maybe there maybe I'm not maybe there's something just wrong and so I did I went and got my blood checked and yeah sure enough it was all out of whack complete mess and what did you say your test was at? it was 80 yeah it was low and you know all at the C-reactive protein the cortisol levels were like through the roof and you know inflammation was really bad so it explained a lot of like the pain and, and the and some of that going on so you know, I started working on that, and I, I felt like I had, a, like, a lot of, like, maybe, because I never really identified with the, the PTSD stuff as mm-hmm. much. I definitely identified with the moral injury and the shame around things, but I didn't really feel the, what was kind of being called PTSD. And so this, this idea of this, that old Venn diagram, right, of the, the PTSD and the TBI and somewhere in the middle, you know, I think, yeah. I kind of... I uh, felt a little more at home with that. So, you know, I put in a lot of work over that year, but I uh, had some real betrayal things happen with some really close friends and I s- got set off again. And it was like, I went right back to my old ways and just totally pushed everyone away. Everyone close to me ended up, I just, you know, I'd left my job. I came down here to make an effort to try to be closer to my kid and then just kind of destroyed everything. And next thing I know, I was like, no place to live. You know, the person I come down here wanted nothing to do with me. And um, I was just, now it's like, all right, so this is where it got real dark, right? It, I wasn't even really in that bad of a place. It was just a realization that, like, you just keep getting yourself better and hurting people. And it was just like, you're not good. And it was, that was more scary because I wasn't like a mess. I just was tired of my behavior. And didn't know how to fix it and didn't know what to do. And, you know, I didn't want to be like, oh, I'm just messed up. Like there's, I, at some point I got to take, start taking responsibility for these actions. And, and the brain was rationalizing in a different way. 
oh yeah, people will be sad. But not as sad as if you keep hurting them. Right. You know, they'll be sad for a month or two. But you stay around, they're gonna be sad for the rest of their lives. Or they're gonna be hurt, they're gonna you're gonna hurt them over and over again. I was a really unintentionally selfish and manipulative person and just full full identity with this I'm a victim, but not because I victimized. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I didn't make any sense looking back, but that's just where I was at. My connection with the facilitators, really random, you know. What is universe is a mysterious thing. But uh, the person I was down there with um, was connected into the psychedelic community a little bit. And, you know, as kind of a last measure, it was like, you should call this number. This person does psychedelic therapy with veterans. And I was like, you know, it's not going to work for me. <laughs> Same old shit. I took the number or whatever. And then um, on one night I just was, I called it and I left a message and then forgot about it. And I, I'm probably a week went by. And during that week I went, got into the real darkness and yeah, I was at the end. I had, um, I'd kind of made the decision. I'd written the letters. I'd done all the things you're supposed to do. There was like this, I don't know if I'm being perfectly honest. It was like, is this real? Is this like everyone says, is it for attention? You know, like nobody knows this is happening now. And you're at the face. And I remember just thinking like, now I don't know if it was for attention or not, but I think this is real. And it was, it was really calm. It wasn't like this disaster. I remember I was crying and just, and then have this like peace my phone rings and it's uh what do you call him professor professor x? x he did say we could use his name but i still kind of feel like plus you got a thing going i don't know yeah i feel like still run with professor x and adam x because i don't i don't want to say it and then him be like oh you know what we changed our minds so i, know. I don't have to go back and re-edit everything but yeah professor x he doesn't doesn't want colton being the first one to <laughs> <laughs> sean uh, anyway, yeah, on the phone, he was like, you know, just the irony of the whole thing, you know, yeah. so, and I'm like, yeah, you know, and I'm kind of trying to, I tried, I tried to talk to him a little bit, but I can't, it's like a, a waterfall of tears. I'm just weeping. And, uh, he says, you got to get over here. Yeah, absolutely not. <laughs> I'm good, man. Cause you said yeah. that message was left a week prior, yeah. right? So out of nowhere, he just called when yeah. you were at the worst. Yeah. And, you know, later you find out why, but it was just, to me, it was just weird, right? And I was like, no. And uh, he said, well, we're going to come to you then. And he was like, I don't know, he did one of those like things, like, brother, suck it the fuck up and get over here. You know, he kind of yelled at me a little bit. Yeah. I'm like, all right. <laughs> Next thing I know, it's like, it's night time. I mean, it was dark. You know, probably in the movie, it's raining. I <laughs> <laughs> You're driving over and... Man, I couldn't barely stand up straight. I'm shaking. I'm just a wreck. And next thing I know, I'm like, you know, out in the middle of nowhere at this house. And I get out of the car and I'm terrified. You know, I have no idea what's happening. And I had no idea what it was. You know, too, I thought it was like, oh, I'm going to go over and do mushrooms or something. You know, mm -hmm. like probably line up my chakras or some, do some yoga. I had no clue what's going to come my way, right. you know? I get out of the car and this big dude comes out. 
And he's not like, oh, come here or anything like that. He just looks at me, you know, and he's like, what does he say? It was so impersonal. Handshake, fist bump, or hug? (laughs) What? (laughs) I'm like, a hug? (laughs) And he just, you know, he hugged, man. He hugged hard. Like, we'd known each other forever. It's hard to explain what, you know, he's got a real interesting look to him, you know, yeah. a real interesting vibe. It's, yeah. He's like no other person. And, you know, and, uh, what, Madame X? Yeah. Is it Madame? Madame X, Professor X. Yeah, I'm never going to get that. No. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Nerd Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, they hug or whatever. And so next thing I know, I'm sitting in there with this EEG headset on i can't he's like can you stay still and i can't stop shaking you know <laughs> just sitting there shaking and you know and he's like just stare at the, and i couldn't look up it's just so funny to think that human being was existing you know? right um yeah we do that we get through that where you know he explains the situation he explains how it goes and i mean you've talked about that i don't know how much i you want me to go through the pen numbers no, I mean, I'm just curious. Yeah, that first night, mm-hmm. so that it was just, that was the protocol. You did the couch with the pens. Just went right to the pens. And I'll be honest, I, I did not get that deep into it. Okay. I never felt anything. Yeah. Uh, what happened was I, I got to about pen four and I started shaking. And then I started retching. I, I never felt any kind of, um, you know, that uh, DMT onset's a little euphoric. Yeah. At the very beginning. And the maybe pin fire, you just start getting that before you start. Have you gone through the whole? I whited out on pen five. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, pin one, I feel nothing. Pin two, I feel nothing. Pin three, my hands, my right hand starts shaking. Pin four, and, and you know, they do the. Uh, linger. Linger. Increase, repeat. repeat. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I was just like, increase, increase. I don't feel anything, you know. And I started shaking. So through, I stayed at pin four, for, I don't know, it could have been two hours, it could have been a millennium. I, it felt like forever. I yeah. was, and I was, it was violent, and it was a lot of screaming. Oh, I t- it, the moment that it triggered was, you know, I forget that, the bowl thing. Yeah. I'm trying to explain that to somebody. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you got an eye mask on, he's like, I'm going to place a bowl on your chest, is that okay? And it's a big sound bowl, too. I, I've still never seen it. Oh, really? Oh, it's only happened when on. I have the eye mask yeah. on. I'm going to place a bowl on your on your chest. Is that okay? And you know, at this time, what are you going to say? No. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've heard now someone said no, right? Uh, not that I know of. Oh, yeah. So someone on the podcast said no. Uh, yeah. So I said, go ahead, put it on. And, uh, I didn't really think about what that meant. And so it was, you know, you, you, you breathe in, you draw in for eight seconds or whatever. You hold it as long as you can. And then as you're exhaling, he just hits this thing, Bum! you know, and it is just like vibrating your, your soul. I didn't realize that sound had such a carrying of the trauma, you know? So mm. I, um, I was still all egoed up. I didn't want to make any noise. That sounds stupid to me to yell or something. Yeah. You know? Give uh, me your war cry. Yeah. That's how I felt. He's always, oh, he's, he's like, uh, he kept saying like, scream, you know, and all these things he's yelling at me. I was like, ah, uh, ah, uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it was, <laughs> And then I think in pin four, you start to lose a little bit of your, um, you're a little more, you're about 
like I said, tiptoes in the spirit world, you know? Yeah. And uh, he hits it, and I'm kind of, I'm trying to now, I'm trying to just uh, match the tone a little bit. I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. you know, like trying to vo- harmonize with it. And it did feel pretty, I could, I could feel it was having its effect. And then I just hear this primal, like the most primal scream I think I may have ever heard. There's no way to describe it. And I, now I'm like, is that happening in the spirit world? Or was that me? Did I do that? So I'm like, no, that couldn't have been me. I wouldn't know if I screamed. Yeah. And then I hear it again. And I'm like, that definitely wasn't me. And now I'm, I start going off to this like, oh, it's the demons of the darkness. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And so uh, it happens again. This time I try to match it. I'm like, and I, I just open oh, my mouth. Just, and right as the noise come out, full head to toe shaking harder than I've ever shaked in my like I sorry was it it was it was it, Professor X screaming yeah. okay I gotcha yeah he was screaming he was trying to to try to get it he out was trying of to, you. yeah he was yeah. trying to show me how it's done right he was trying to show me how primal he could be <laughs> one up yeah yeah he's like oh you think you're primal let me show you what primal is <laughs> show you how seal does it yeah stud he's stud <laughs> He was like, hey, brother. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So uh, <laughs> we get, uh, yeah, and I was, I, you know, I did it about four or five times. I was drenched in sweat. My ears were full of tears. Like I was crying. Like it was just intense. I, I was like, I can't do it anymore. That's enough. I can't do it anymore. I was, oh, God, that sounds like, I think that was all I could do that day. You felt like you were just beat down. I was beat. I had nothing yeah. left in me, and I didn't. The idea of going in some, but I've, I felt a lot came out, mm-hmm. right? I think that's what needed to happen. It like got me a little bit. Uh, I went home and I, I ate and I hadn't eaten in a long time and I slept and I hadn't slept in a long time. Yeah. I slept really good and that just had, I mean, it was, um, yeah. And then, uh, I think I went back, uh, a few days later and did it again. So how did you feel day after? Of the first time? Yeah. Uh, good. I, it was foggy. Yeah. Yeah. I, it wasn't like, um, it was definitely like, uh, man, I don't, I don't have a good explanation for it. It just, it was like a, a little bit of brain fog. Um, like a, I did feel lighter. I, I Better did. than pre, but still not yeah, where but, you wanted to be. Yeah, but not like dark at all. Okay. Yeah, not like dark at all. Just exhausted and, um, but hopeful. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds so cheesy. Hopeful. <laughs> so you go back a few days later. Yeah, I go back a few days later. I'm different. You know, I think they saw that I was different. They were just like, wow. You know, they made a lot of comments about it. Yeah. But I felt different. Yeah. This time I go in and same thing. Got to pin four. Violent shaking. Could have been an hour. <laughs> Could have been a year. Oh, who knows, man. Yeah. It felt like forever. Then I push past, I go to pen five, and then uh, I was somewhere around pen five or pen six, I started to kind of get that dissolving, you know, okay. kind of started to lose a sense of self. I don't think I ever went that deep. I just, I definitely felt like I was, uh, there was like, like I didn't exist anymore. You know, I, there wasn't any real fear around it. It was just a, a real sense of just being consciousness, which was pretty incredible. Uh, you know, what's crazy is my, they were very visual, but not, um, not like, not like a DMT visual, like, uh. Um, galactic almost it was very kind of like what I imagine to be like inside of a synapse, like electric field or something. Yeah. It's kind of, you know, the, your purples and greens are kind of cloudy okay. space. It was kind of that feeling to it. Yeah. 
you know, you can't put words to this stuff. Right. But it, I, which is interesting because I was always told there is no visuals. Yeah. I mean, I, I saw the whiteout, but I did see resemblance of like electricity. Okay. My way there and my way out. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I was probably just on that, whatever that level was. Right. I never got any little deeper. He's like, all right, you're ready for the mighty, you know? And so this is, you know, the mighty or whatever. So it's this, uh, uh, it's a vaporizer and it's supposed to be, you know, pure molecule. And right. It has the crystal shot. in it yeah. rather than the, the cartridges that are in the vape pens. Right. And so he's got to heat it up and I'm sitting there thinking, you know, okay, I'm going to go and do this now. And, uh, he gets it ready and he's like, all right, you ready? He brings it up. I can't do it. Pure block. I don't know what it was. Most scared I've ever been in my life. Yeah. I don't want, it was like something, there was like something I was going to face. I didn't want to see. Yeah. Or, and you know, I just didn't know what it was. It was like, I knew I was something big was about to happen and I couldn't do it. I kept thinking about all the times I've been asked to do things that I didn't want to do. And I didn't, I did them. <laughs> I wasn't afraid or whatever. Maybe I was afraid, but I didn't let it stop me. And this was, there was no chance. I couldn't believe it. Like I, I got up and walked out and left. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's funny. You were supposed to be there that night. I was never asked to be there no? until I was only told the full day and that I needed to meet you first. Oh yeah. That, well, uh, it's, it's an interesting part of the story. Cause so before I was going to come over for that second day, I was much more in, in tune with who I was. Right. Um, and I remember I was standing in line at a gas station and I get a text from professor X and he says, Hey, uh, if, uh, if there was another Marine that want, is trying to learn about giving and helping, would you mind if he was there? And all I thought about was that, um, I thought about that first time I went down, I couldn't be vulnerable mm -hmm. and how I might not, I don't know. It was like interesting. I was like, normally, especially when someone's trying to do something nice for me, I'm always like, oh, you know, you do what you want to do. And I've put, I've, I've had people sit on therapy sessions cause they asked, you know, like, yeah. and, uh, for whatever reason, I was like, no, I'm going to say no. I don't know. I wouldn't act like I was being brave in that moment. I was sitting there being like, I really want to say no to this. And then he texts it. If you want to say no, say no. Yeah. Cause he's a fucking weirdo and can read the future. Or something. <laughs> Some kind of magician. Um, so yeah, he said that and I said no or whatever, but it was after that second time when I was leaving, I said, Hey, if, if, if that cat still wants to do it, I just want to meet him first. Yeah. And I think I met you a few days after it was, I mean, it wasn't that long. I think the right. whole process was like, uh, the first one in a couple of days and then like 10 days. And then we did ours together. Yeah. Having walked out on that vaporizer, how did you feel about walking into this full day treatment? The, the big shebang. Oh man. I don't know, there's so many cliche responses, right? It was like that perfect blend of like terrified and excited. You know, I think I, I think after, at this point I've talked to some people, you know, I'm like, Oh, this is what I'm doing. This is what's going on. And people got advice and people are saying stuff, friends. And Actually, before we get there, how did you feel post second night and then day after second treatment? Yeah. Um, I think that's what the difference is. a good question because it was after the second time I felt I, I was on cloud nine. Yeah. Yeah. I felt great. I didn't feel like I had any answers, but I felt like I had a lot of hope. Yeah. And I felt, oh man, I can't believe we were going to skip all this. This, <laughs> this is like some of the most powerful stuff. Uh, yeah. A lot of real realizations. 
that week had gone by and I wasn't on, it was on maybe Jocko podcast. It was uh, Capone. Yeah, Amber, Marcus, Amber, Amber and Marcus, Marcus Capone. Yeah. yeah, they were running that vest program. Right. And they came on. And so I'm getting, about to drive into work and it's early in the morning or whatever. I'm like, oh, Jocko's on. It's like, I got, you know, a, a couple here who's given psychedelic therapy. I'm like, oh my God, what if it's Professor and Madame X? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, how crazy would that be? Because they actually said, oh, we're, we got to be gone for a few days or something. I'm like, this is crazy. They're going to be on a podcast now and talk about this. Yeah. And so I get into it. And they, get, they got into some pretty heavy stuff going through his life. You know, I, I don't know if you ever listened to his podcast. but he Yeah, really, I listened to that one yeah, specifically, yeah. He really gets into the, um, most of his guests, he goes through their whole life. Mm-hmm. And, man, they really brought up a lot of things. And, man, there were some of those stories they were telling where I was like, oh, I know. I know the stuff that's being left out of that story, you know, so oh, I know what happened on that car ride. And I really, um, there was a part where it was like, where is it rock bottom or, and I can't, I can't remember the minute, but there was a, a, a phrase where he said, she was like, what's in your eyes right now? She was like staring off into the distance or something. I like, what's in your eyes? It's like, I just wondered if you'd be better off if I wasn't around. And Sean, let me tell you, man, that thought went through my head so much with everything and everybody, man, that was just a common phrasing loop in my head and when I heard it I realized I hadn't thought it in like four days which is just it was like oh oh there is something has changed like there is a I haven't had any negative thoughts you know I haven't been fighting off anything I mean there there has been kind of a clean slate like feel and uh, I went through a, a fishing tournament and we weren't catching shit but you know I've been to all those things up at Deer Park. And I preached to so many people about presence and being in the moment. And I think for the first time ever, I felt like I was in a, I was sitting there and, and like 30 minutes went by and I realized I haven't thought about a fucking thing. Like I've just been here listening to my breath. Like this is what everyone's been talking about. This is what I've been talking about to mm-hmm. people, you know? It was, it was like, uh, holy shit, I was a hypocrite. <laughs> But it, it was like those kind of moments, like, hey, things are really, this is really something special. Yeah. And so I think that was, that really fired up that excitement around it. Like, okay, I, I know this is real work that needs to be done. And mm-hmm. um, it kind of took away, like their fear was still there, but it was like, I, whatever it is, it's going to be worth it. Yeah. Yeah. And it was somewhere along where I was like, hey, I want to meet this. I mean, we've got to talk about when we met. That's a magical moment. <laughs> It's like hearing the Beatles for the first time. No, I mean, I think it's true. I, like I've, I've said it a million times that I, I feel like I'm a good judge of people that if I meet somebody, I, I just kind of like know right out the gate. They, it, that's, I feel like why I'm so bad with memory recall of names is because if I meet somebody, I'm like, we're not going to be friends. Like I don't even try to yeah. put that name to memory bank. And like, it's bit me in the ass a few times where I have to go back and relearn name. And I'm like, okay, I was wrong. But for the most part, it's like, I know whether or not I'm going to jive with somebody. And it was like walking in there the same way that you had had that whole, you know, don't really like hanging out with veterans. Yeah. I don't really like hanging out with Marines specifically. And then it was like being from the ground side. I was just like, who is this dude going to be? Is he going to be some meathead? And like, what's, and so I think I was coming in the same kind of thought process as you with this. And then I don't know, it was like, we'd been friends forever. It was the most bizarre, just like instant connection. Yeah. It was like when, um, you ever seen a notebook? (laughs) 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 Just messing. (laughs) 
No, it's funny. I, I was like, oh, I'm going to go on this blind date. I think I was texting him, I'm about to go on this blind date with some dude, see if, <laughs> or whatever. I was like, he just texted me, oh, I'm wearing a white t-shirt. <laughs> Something like that. I'm like, oh, sweet. I'm like, I hope he doesn't have a man bun. <laughs> Failed. Failed. And you came walking out of the shadows looking like you just came from the Abercrombie and the Fitch catalog shoot. (laughs) (laughs) No, but it's great, man. It was fun. We just sat there and bullshitted, and um, and that was good vibes. I knew it was going to be all right. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, at that point, too, you had kind of talked about some of those combat experiences pretty openly. Yeah, I was trying to practice. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, it. there's no doubt that those first two treatments unlocked the ability to at least kind of talk about those things. Right. Yeah. It was like, a, you know, that's kind of what I, I psyched myself. Up. I'm like, just go up there and be a little open and just see how you feel, you know, can you mm-hmm. be a little vulnerable in front of this person? Right. Be a little over the top. Yeah. Cause I mean, now, you wouldn't want to ruin it yeah. the way that the first fishing trip went. Like if I was in the room and it prevented you from yeah. being able to share, then it would have ruined the treatment. In fact, afterwards, I was like, I felt like there was going to be like a little more support, you know? Yeah. A little more. So, yeah, I don't know. It was very interesting how it ended up being something I I wanted rather than like, fuck you, man. Yeah. I'm not going to be part of your experiment. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, where are we at? That brings us to day of full (laughs) full day treatment. A little bit of nerves, but excitement. Oh, yeah. And so starts with the MDMA. And you had had MDMA experience previously, right? Oh, yeah. That definitely was the party, though. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't like a party party, but it was like, you know, I kind of hung out with, um, it'd be like, Hey, we're going to, we take Molly, you know, and we go yeah. out and whatever camp or, but it was but definitely for the euphoria. There was no like connection thing, but I, you know, I, I always knew that there was something, every time you do it, you end up being like, Oh my God, your legs so amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but you were familiar with the yeah. onset, the yeah. come up, all that yeah. kind of thing. So that leads into some talk therapy and i mean from what i observed that was interesting was it was like you know those whole combat situations in detail they just seemed like it came out so effortlessly with no emotion attached which is very interesting to me because it's like that's the kind of stuff that nightmares are made of yeah and it was it just seemed like it was so easy to get that off your chest yeah, it's funny. And going through it, I remember thinking like, okay, we got to get through this stuff. But like, they probably want to hear about like childhood stuff because they bring that up a lot. Yeah. And there was a lot of questioning. It, it didn't feel at all. I'm really glad it was like that. It didn't feel at all like a, um, you know, therapy can get a little bit like an interrogation. Yeah. It just felt like people hanging out, chatting, right. telling stories because the professors were throwing it back. They were telling their stories. You know, and it kind of took away that feeling like it was about me, which allowed it to be a little freer. But it, you're right. When it was when we were talking, it definitely just felt like, oh, this this came up. I got to talk about it. I got to talk about it. But there was no emotion, no yeah. connection at all. Almost. It was like a total. And is that's not even a dissociative, is it? No. I mean, they call it an empathogen, which is just kind of uh, like a weird term that's thrown out there. But it just seems I mean, I really do feel like these things are essentially put you into like a state of hypnosis to where you just have access to things in the subconscious that you don't typically have access to. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting too. I mean, there's something about set and setting. Yeah. Right. Cause you know, it it was a completely different experience than the times in the past, right. Where you're going out and you're 
probably abusive towards it, but it was, I never felt those feelings of like, oh, you guys just want to cuddle, you know, (laughs) or whatever. It wasn't, there was no like, it wasn't a euphoric feeling even. Right. Um, it was, it was like just laser focused and just like, and I, I just, I remember I kept feeling like we're, we're talking too much. Like I'm, I don't, I need to get to the childhood stuff. Yeah. Cause I don't even know what the childhood stuff is on that note. The thing that I thought was interesting, and I don't know if it's something that you want to share on here or not, but what I think was interesting was she had told me either prior to yours or afterwards or something along those lines, but talking about how so many of, I think this is actually after my five MEO experience. Mm -hmm. And she said that so many of these guys that come in that are veterans, that the thought process is that it's what they saw in combat. And she, she Mm -hmm. told me 99% of the time it goes to their connection with their father. Yeah. It's like, whether it's with men or women or whatever, that that's what it goes to. And then when she asked, why did you join the military? That I think was pretty impactful. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's, it. I'm part of that, I'm definitely part of that 99%. Yeah. Right? When I was going through that, my, I had that relationship, you know, you can't say, oh, I had this traumatic childhood. Right. It's just funny, right, you get that spectrum, and it, it goes right there with the combat stuff. It's like, my story going to be worse than theirs, or, you know, am I, yeah. <laughs> can we compare, please? And uh, But yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I didn't have, like, a crazy, uh, I didn't have a, I had a pretty damn good childhood, if you look at the, from the outside but I just had this relationship with my father where it was and you know maybe that's just how they were how we were raised it was like mm-hmm. if, if you you teach a work ethic by never being good enough type of thing right and it was it was pretty hard it was sports and education were really big to my dad and you know by the time uh, I got into you know I was really good at sports through the younger years and as I got into my teenage angst years you know I got into punk rock and I didn't want anything to do with sports. And I, I was like, no matter what I had done anyway, and sports, I would go to, he never showed up on any of my games, you know, he didn't, uh, I'd always look at that crushing feeling of looking to the stands and, uh, you know, it was just, there was a lot of stuff and, you know, stuff that I'd obviously blacked out that came up later, but there was this, when I was like a sophomore in high school, I stayed at home and my family all went to the East coast and they just put all the effort in my little brother. They put him in this, amazing private school and like the like the um dead poet society like one of those kind of schools where you live oh, there and you wear a little suit yeah and you read poetry in a cave or something you know <laughs> <laughs> they're out there just you know just living this life where he was at every game he was on this, all these his dad was coaching him he was doing everything just full on a part of his life i don't know i was like graduate high school and i went to like a junior college or whatever and i was just down there and and it was just like, I was getting a lot of comments, like, you're never going to amount to nothing. You're doing, you know, you're just wasting your life. You're, it was a lot of that kind of stuff. Which probably came from a good place, thinking yeah, it was going to motivate you me. to yeah. do something, but not understanding, like, the the mental toll that that takes that I think so many parents don't understand. Right. Especially at, a, at the younger ages, what that can do to a child. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's so funny this you know, we'll probably get into it with stuff that came up in the later sessions, but the, um, I would have never thought, you know, I remember I like things that came up that were, are viscerally painful that you can see. We're just like trying to, I don't know, motivate or dealing with their own shit, their own insecurities. You know, they're just trying to do their best. Yeah. But for whatever reason, his thing was, um, so yeah, uh, I was down there at school and we started launching 
missiles into Kosovo. And I was like, oh, there's about to be a big ass war. And so I like went, I, was, I remember I, literally there was like a comms there, I like walked straight down there and was like, when, how soon can I leave? And they're like, oh, what do you want to do? You know, I did the ASVAB thing and like, you can do all these things. It's like, just put me in the infantry. I went to boot camp. He just looked like you're not going to make it. I remember like standing there, therefore he just had this look like, it was almost like he's like, hey, you know, this is a really tough thing. You know, and it's like, he was like, he's going to let me know it's okay ahead of time. And I was like, fuck uh, this, I'm going to make it. And like uh, three weeks in, I dislocate my kneecap. And I get dropped to this medical recovery too. And I'm just like, fuck. <laughs> and, uh, oh man, that place was, that place was one of the darkest places ever, man. They had the, it was like, you know, if you're there, you can't leave boot camp until you get better. Right. And so there's people who have like, they have a surgery on a broken leg and then they get infected and their head's just not mentally strong. So you just don't get better because yeah. you're just in miserable. So there's people who had been there for a year, two years. I was like, this place is crazy. Yeah. You can't get out. <laughs> it's like some weird purgatory. <laughs> I was like, nah, me. <laughs> I'm going to get out this bitch. I think they said it was going to be minimum six weeks recovery. And it was like on the day of the six weeks, I got dropped back to my place. Yeah. Um, you know, I did all the damage because of that, but, um, we got back in or whatever. And I graduated. I remember when I got back to, he wrote this letter where he said, he said he was proud of me. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. I still got the letter. Yeah. Um, I got home from boot camp, went to SOI, he got cancer and died. So I don't think I ever got to experience that. Yeah. But I think that's another big part that again, if you're, you're willing to share yeah. that, I think played such a big part or like a thing that I saw that was so impressive was you, the thought process of you saying he told you to never quit. And then the way that the cancer unfolded. Yeah. Oh yeah. God, thanks for remembering my life, man. Wow, that was, <laughs> that was big, man. That was like, I really felt that whenever you God. talked about that through there. Yeah. I'll try to get to that one. That one hurts. Yeah. Okay. I couldn't. So you get the red cross message, get the red cross message. Uh, and, you know, I, I had seen my father like a month before on boot leave or whatever, you know, mm -hmm. and we were doing running. We went for a run together and stuff. And we just, it was kind of like this interesting feeling. Like I, it was almost like he saw me like a man for the first time, you know, it was like we were just at, treating each other different. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and then I it was uh, I was actually at the Marine Corps ball when I got the um, message and they were like, oh, yeah, one of the instructors came down was like, get an American Red Cross message. And so I went and called my mom from a payphone because it was the 70s. <laughs> Can you believe that? Free cell phone. Yeah. I think I had a calling card or yeah. something, you know. And so I called my mom from the payphone and she was like, um, yeah, she was like, oh, your dad's got cancer. And I, at the time they were like, hey, he's going to do the treatment. You always want to get some second opinions and. Um, he's gonna, he's, he's got two, they're giving him two to three years right now. It's esophageal cancer. It's pretty aggressive. And so, uh, I was like, well, fuck. Um, and then the Red Cross thing, and they were pretty good about it. They're like, yeah, you know, I had orders to six Marines in Camp Lejeune. And they were like, we're just going to drop you right to this, uh, I and I unit. Cause my parents live just outside of Quantico. So I went to this I and I unit outside of Quantico. Um, it was like an LAR unit. And I got, was hanging out with him, but he had done the first round of chemo and it rocked him. And he's just like, I'm done. And I didn't say, man, I was just 
devastated because I, you know, my whole life, I couldn't have injuries. I could, I remember like, oh man, I remember I had this, I had like, a, my bicep was like torn playing football. So I was, I couldn't barely move my arm and I like got this extra pad to put on so I could still play. And he was like, you don't need that pad. I just remember you just weren't allowed to like have an injury. It was always like, know the difference between pain and injury, but there's no such thing as an injury. <laughs> Jesus. I remember my older brother was even worse for him. He played with broken ribs because his dad he wouldn't believe him that he was hurt. Uh, and it was just this thing you couldn't, man, it was just, if you did anything that showed weakness, it was, I'm making him out to sound like a monster. He was, no, he was a no, good dude, no. but I mean, it was, that's just his thing. I don't know if it was, you know, it was different, but here he is. I'm like, you, I'll be honest, yeah, I thought he was, I was so fucking disappointed, man. He's like, you pussy, I was angry. It's like, here I am, I fucking fought my ass off for you to be proud of me. And now I think I got it. And you're not even going to try. After all the guilt and shame you put me through for having any pain or any emotions. I was so devastated by that. Yeah. I never said anything. Sometimes I kind of wish I would have. No. Yeah, it's hard. Because, I mean, what would it have changed? I mean, it's only once you've been in that spot that you know like how devastating chemo is and yeah. like if you feel like you just want to die anyway it's like why put yourself through that again and i mean i guess i can see both sides of it but yeah yeah and you know now what i know and what i know i remember there was a time when his he kind of looked at me like he's like, he did this whole like you know i've lived enough yeah i think he said something along those lines like and there's almost like a peace in his eyes you know, and maybe now looking back, like he was, he was a fighter pilot and now knowing the stuff about, uh, TBI and whatnot, yeah. like his story's crazy. He crashed a damn jet. Yeah. Did I tell you that? Uh-uh. Yeah. He hit the carrier with an F8 Crusader deck strike, split it in half, ejected as the cockpit sliding down the runway. Like cockpit goes into the gun and explodes. They find him as they're doing the cleanup unconscious hanging from the side of the boat. <laughs> Like a shoot caught in the rails. I, was, I read about it in a book. <laughs> and he was unconscious. Like he, woke, he said he woke up, like just came conscious and just saw his like legs dangling over the ocean. Jesus. That's wild. Yeah. So, you know, maybe he had his own shit going on. Yeah. But I didn't think about that stuff for all those years. Right. But that's, that's again what the MDMA does. And yeah. where Madame X has made the comment of like, military recruiters prey on broken toys yeah. and not to say like not to admit any of us were broken right. but the people that find their way to the military willing to sign up to do these things to put themselves through boot camp and training and all that it's not the average person that finds himself there yeah you know what i mean and it's it's the interesting thing that i hear you say that i experienced that will brought up but that that self-hatred i think is kind of what puts you there is like and I mean, I don't, I don't mean to say it like being cocky or anything, but I'm confident I could have gotten through seal training. Like yeah. there's nothing that can fucking stop me because I'm my own worst enemy. I won't let myself fail something. Yeah. So that was, I mean, I didn't go in there trying to prove to any of my family. I was like, I guess trying to prove to myself that I was something. And that was this like weird driving force, this darkness inside of me that kept me going forward. But so yeah. I don't know which one's worse. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that, that was something that I witnessed there that was like, 
that was seemed like it was kind of a core thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was like being able to bring that up. And it's almost as if the way that this therapy seems to work is that the MDMA brings everything to the surface and then you move on. And so that gets us to psilocybin. Yeah. So what, and you had had psilocybin experience previously as well, right? Yeah. I never, I've never, um, I still don't think I've ever really gone in like you've gone in. Okay. What did you see like the psilocybin visual start to come in since you, okay. I never had any, I, I th- you know, when we were outside, I think pe- you guys got a little fractal a little bit, you know, cause well, we that was the other thing I went to bring up is because you were like, we need to go outside. Yeah. What was fresh air? Okay. Yeah. It was stuffy and it's a lot. Yeah. You know, and, and I think, which is funny. I never, I didn't feel, you know, that emotional. Like I feel way more emotional today, right. Talking about it. And, mm-hmm. but I didn't ever feel emotional. I was, but it was exhausting, yeah. you know? And I remember thinking like, I just need some fresh air. Like this is a lot. And I just, We've been sitting here a long time. Yeah. Um, I think we went outside. I was, as they say, rolling pretty hard when they put the mushrooms down. And I remember thinking, like, there's no fucking way I want to drink those right now. Yeah. You know? And I was like, I, they're, you know, the thing's very unassuming. It's not like, okay, take this now. Mm-hmm. It's like a little cup gets set down in front of you. You know, everything's on your program. Yeah. Which I like to be told what to do. Yeah. I like someone to be like, Hey, you need to drink this. Yeah. Which is eventually what they did. Right. Get every last little bit. Yeah. I was, I didn't, you know, at that point I was like, I'm good. I don't need the mushrooms. I'm fine. I was just doing that. Oh man. Okay. Let's talk more. Yeah. (laughs) It was really ripping, but it did seem like going outside kind of like lightened the mood with everybody. And I think we got, yeah, it was almost like we started prepping for the next hard work. Yeah. In fact, I felt like, oh, I didn't do enough, right? I think I was like, hey, I, I'm sorry, I didn't really dig that hard. Yeah. Even then, I'm apologizing. <laughs> well, that's the interesting thing is because they told me again, this being my first time sitting through, a, I think it's like, I think I'd been through with somebody who just did the couch with the pens previously, but you were the first full day thing, and they essentially told me, sit back and watch. Yeah. We don't want your input here's a notepad. If you have any questions or suggestions, write on the notepad and show it to us. But that's when we were all outside and they had to split off to go get water or something mm-hmm. along those lines. And that's whenever you said to me, I don't really feel like there's anything that's all that deep going on. And that's when I was like, dude, yeah. what, what you've talked about is literally movies are made about this and like tough to watch for most people. And that was what unlocked the story about the Corman. And I don't know if you had shared that with them on the previous one, but that was, that essentially was a moral injury thing. Yeah. And I think that it's the moral injuries that are the harder thing to deal with. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, I didn't even know that term. I was, you know, it was like, I lucked out one time where I got matched up with this, um, really great psychotherapist that really helped through a lot of stuff. And, you know, that was his thing. Like he, he did, he wrote books about it. Mm-hmm. And I, it was nice to have something other than PTSD that made more sense to me. Right. right. Not that the PTSD is not, I just, like, it wasn't like, I don't know. I won't go into that, but I, I the moral injury thing, it, it is tough, right? Cause it's, you're dealing with, you know, they used to call it soldier's heart. It was like a term for it. And it's like, you're dealing with uh duality inside yourself that you know you're capable of 
and the cloudiness of what were your intentions and were you doing your job, you know, that fades as time goes on. And the more you realize that, like, I don't know, like, is there forgiveness for that? I mean, uh, and then we live in such a weird society, right? Where you're like, um, you start to feel like maybe you have more in common with the enemy than you do with your friends and family. And you start, you get away, you get pulled away from the dogmatic talk around the war and everything. And you're like, are there just people that were told that this is the right thing to do their whole life, you know, and that these people are bad people and that they're evil and that they're terrorists and they're coming over here. And, uh, and you got to do what you got to do. And that doesn't make it much different than us. Yeah. You know, and I, you know, I know that there's some practices in that culture that, um, could be looked at as evil, but goddamn it, there's some practices in our culture that could be looked at as Absolutely. evil too. And so there's really no, there's a lot of yin and yang going on. Yeah. And uh, you know, you, if you say that out loud, if you say, "Oh, I don't know, man, maybe the enemy's not that bad," holy cow, they'll kick you out the country. That was the hardest thing for Kaepernick, me. Yeah. <laughs> because I was voluntold to go be that prison guard, and yeah. it was because I was the only PFC in my shop, so. They were like, you don't know enough about working on jets yet that we have to, if we have to give a body for this, you're the perfect one to go because you don't have enough training to be useful to us. So straight to Fallujah. And <clears throat> that's when as a 19 year old, just because I'm six foot four mm. and we were way understaffed, they said, don't matter. It doesn't matter what's on your collar. You look big, you look intimidating. You run this portion of the prison. Yeah. So I'm over there. And again, the only person that goes from Al-Assad from this unit to the prison and I'm talking to people that speak perfect English, that taught languages in the US and then taught English in, in Iraq and telling me basically, the people who are fighting this war aren't even from Iraq. They're yeah. coming from all of the other countries told that this is the jihad, this is the war oh, yeah. against the bad man, the American. And then it makes you step back and think like, well shit, if China came over here or Russia came over here and we're going door to door, kicking in doors, pointing guns, shooting people, I would shoot back. Yeah. And just because, so the way that we determined who were terrorists over there is if they had an AK-47. Yeah. So if you come in my house and I have an AR, does that make me a terrorist? Yeah. It's the same shit. So it's like, now I witness all this. I see all this shit go down. And then I have to go back to Al-Assad where they're still strapping bombs on F-18s yeah. to go down and blow up the Fallujah. And so it was like, I was the only person in that unit that saw firsthand what Fallujah looked like after we dropped bombs all over it and then met all of these innocent bystanders who no one from their country was even fighting that war. I mean, maybe yeah. some, but mainly people coming from other countries. And it's like, we just Mostly, yeah. ruined your fucking life. Yeah. And I can see where Americans look like the devil. And it was, and it was crazy because, you know, when we talked about that, like at this berserker mode, right? Because, you know, we're, you think, uh, we were Ramadi. We went out on the streets. Uh, we were there for seven months. There was four days I didn't leave the wire, right? So you're out on the streets every day. You're seeing stuff every day. And you're fighting a ghost, essentially, out there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, humans are interesting. You know, I used to think, like, uh, when I worked in the ER, uh, right? These nurses, they would treat the homeless people like absolute garbage, right? Like they're like almost inhumane. Yeah. The way they talk about them, the way they talk to them. Now, these are all people that took on a job because they wanted to take care of people, right? But you start, you see the new nurses, they're just 
hearts of gold, right? Mm. And those old ones like are cruel, you know, that nurse ratchet thing. And you're like, how does that happen? But that's a real, that's a real thing that happens. And it's not because they're bad people, but you know, if you're there in that situation, someone's constantly, you know, testing your patients and fulfilling the stereotypes and taking advantage of the system and it's hard to stay empathetic for a long time. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. Some people are magical, but most people aren't, right? And you start to see people in a different way. And you're in that world. Man, there was no doubt in my mind we weren't doing the right thing, right? You know, and we were savages, yeah. right? And it's just like, uh, you think about some of the things you did, and you're just like, how did I get that way? And it felt like, you know, you, you start hating people, and you don't know who you can trust, and hate like deep hatred, so you, some God, what did I, who did I hear, recently say this quote that was like, I was talking about September 11th, and they were saying they were saying how mad they were about September 11th. They were everyone was like, how the country was. Remember that? And yeah. someone told him, and you know how you feel right now. That's exactly how they feel. Like that feeling of someone coming over here, oh, yeah. doing this horrible thing. You yeah. know, like. And I'm not justifying anything right. that's done in that way. But I'm, while I'm saying, to circle it back, is there was a lot in that moral injury state where you're like, am I on the wrong side of history, you know? Yeah. I guarantee you there was no SS soldiers that thought they were out there doing evil. Right. You know, but if anyone says, hey, my uncle was an SS soldier, boy, they, you're a bad person yeah, just exactly. for having that uncle. Right. You know? and <laughs> just because you're related to him. God, man, that's became, you know, you start looking at the numbers and what you going on you start realizing why we were there and the more and more you look at even today how the just is there anything that's real and just how corrupt our own government is and can i even you know you start falling out of love with that patriotism and and that's a hard because that's a big been a big part of your identity you know and where do you stand with that so all all of that identity is uh it's a betrayal of yourself you know you just kind of stop you stop losing sense of who you are and then that's a call back again to you saying when somebody comes up and says, thank you for your service. Yeah. It's like, it like twists that knife a little bit more. And it's, I know they're saying it out of like yeah. the goodness for their heart. And they think that what they're saying to me that I'm like, yeah, I'm so proud, you know, yeah. but it's like, you don't know the shit that yeah. and, so and many of us have experienced. Maybe it's for them a little bit too. You know, yeah. like they, they don't know. And they feel maybe a little guilt. I've, I've known that a lot. People have opened that like. You know, they feel like they didn't do enough first or they haven't ever been a part of something bigger than themselves yeah. or, you know, it's a respect thing. And so you can't ever be the, you know, the buying into that identity of the don't thank me for my service yeah. thing. Like everyone, you got to remember whose intentions are or what, but it is, it is a thing. And I, I don't know any veterans that don't feel that way. Yeah. Yeah. I can't think of one. Uh, somebody told me, they were like, yeah, every veterans day we buy flags and donate them to something or something along those lines. And I was like, if you really care about veterans and you want to do something with your money on veterans day there, there's vets, there's heroic hearts. There's, there's so many psychedelic organizations out there for veterans. Like if you want to help veterans, this is the only thing that's come out now. It, that seems to help people throw money at one of those organizations, throw money at maps, throw money at somebody that's doing this for veterans. But didn't you have that feeling in the beginning where you're like, wait, this is real. (laughs) Yeah. Like here's a thing that's working and it's still a problem. Like, like veterans are sneaking into another country to do something that's actually working for this shit. 
and there's still stigma around it. Like oh, there's, it's still a schedule one controlled I substance. All that of these things. Crazy. Yeah. I, that was first couple of days of like that first feeling of like, Oh my God, this feels so, I feel so free. Yeah. You know, just, Oh, that was like, there's no way to explain that feeling when you've right. been running at revved at nine for 9,000 RVMs, like about the, you know, blow your top end yeah. for five years or whatever it is. And all of a sudden it's just like someone finally pushes the clutch in. And that's what it is. It's fight or flight. And I think that that's what so many veterans yeah. are just stuck in fight or flight. And it's, you can only do that for so long until this thing shuts down. And so what it seems that all of these various compounds are capable of doing is shutting off fight or flight and putting you back into yeah. that state of calm. And it's, you know, I, I just, I almost always feel like I have something flexed in me. Like there's always some yeah. underlying tension. Yeah. And the only time I've ever felt that whole body just melt and let go and relax is DMT psilocybin, you know, mm -hmm. these experiences, but still on the psilocybin thing. Um, we're outside. You seemed a little hesitant to want to go back inside. Yeah. It started to come real. Yeah. Cause he had said, you know, we're in a, we're in a time frame here that yeah. it's time to start doing the five MEO or the psilocybin is going to wear off. And this whole concoction that we have going on is not going to work. And you didn't really seem like you wanted to go yeah, inside. I didn't, I did not. And it just, at that point now, I'm in that real happy mushroom land, you know, where it's yeah. like, it's, a, it's pure body and I'm feeling just loose and like, I just kind of want to hang out with you guys and bullshit <laughs> riff off one another. Cause we were kind of yeah. starting to talk. Yeah. It was like I said, it was lighthearted outside. Yeah. It was, yeah, yeah. It was, and, it was some shit talking. And that's time. why, you know, that's my happy place. <laughs> it's feeling safe. Yeah. I, and honestly, like, and the five MEO is not fun. No, it's not. It's, uh, you know, the whole process is going to be a nightmare. And I know I got it. You know, you remember like I had walked away, you know, yeah. I had it in my face and I walked away and I got to face that. And, you know, I came in with all that confidence, but I was, I was terrified. So, yeah doesn't matter though. You got to do it. Yeah. So, I mean, they essentially guided you back in yeah. at that point. It was like, you seemed like you kept trying to push it off and they were like, okay, it's now or never. And I think he basically said like, you're either going to call it now or we're going to go do the five MEO. So yeah. we moved back in. And you know, at, <clears throat> from, at this period, like I, this is real fuzzy for me, but I was always looking forward to hearing like, we've never really talked about like hearing all from your perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, so yeah, because you said you didn't really, going through this, the five MEO part, you didn't seem like you had much visuals or unpacked much in there. Right? No. So, I mean, yeah, I'll, I'll take over from what I saw and then you can fill in the blanks. So what I have seen is pen one and pen two seem, seem to never really do anything mm -hmm. to at least veterans. He said that he's worked with some other people where they've had full blown experiences on one, wow. but I think three is when I could see something was working with you. And then four was when the tremor started again. And what I observed that was fascinating was it would be the inhale and it always started with that right hand and it went straight to a trigger finger, which was so bizarre to see. And I think that they had told me like kind of, kind of prepared me for it and said, we saw this last time, like we're looking for this again. Hmm. And so it was always right hand first, it lifted and it went for a trigger every single time. And that twitch started and then it became a full body convulsion. And then that was once they found that 
that's whenever they explained to me that you continue to repeat that uh-huh. dose as you watch less and less tremoring go on. So it was, it started with right hand to left hand to both legs and it would kick and maybe about a two minute tremor. And then they would, it would be the reverse order. So it'd be one leg, other leg, left hand, last thing to go down was that trigger finger again. And then the hand would calm down. And then, so it was repeat, repeat, repeat. And then they finally got to the point where, and this might've been like 10 hits off of pen four. And then the last thing I saw was your hand just barely come up with the trigger and Uh then go down and relax. And then they said, okay, we'll, we'll step it up to five. And then whenever it went to five, it went from the body almost struggling to let go with what was ever stuck in there to a sense of peace. Like it went to, then it became a just placing your hand on your heart and more of like a sigh rather than that struggle or that tension that you could see kind of like writhing through the, whatever was coming up. And then it was only like a couple hits off of pen five to where it was, it was like, like caressing the the heart. So it was like, you could see, and then there was like a smile and we were like, okay, like this is, it's there. And then they did offer you the vaporizer, right? I said, I was like, bring on nobody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so what, how did the mighty then differ for you from the pens? Oh man. Um, well, I guess we'll go through a little. So that is, it is interesting because that, four or five like it's that is like uh like there's no way to explain that to anybody yeah you know you're shaking and you're it feels like you're well, i've never had a seizure right right i imagine that's I mean, it looks like a seizure yeah it, yeah it is like it's like your muscles contracting and like it is painful yeah it's painful and it, it's like you're drenched in sweat it's like you're uh oh it's awful it is an awful feeling. It doesn't, it is like a, it's a little scary that it starts shaking and you, you realize you're not in any control of your right. body. And then you, I know there was a couple of times in the beginning, you're like, Oh, you can stop it a little bit. You like lose and you, your ego goes back and forth. It's like, I'm in control. And then you realize I'm not in control. And you're like, what happens now? Yeah. What can my body do when I'm not in control? You know, yeah. and it's terrible. You're scared. You know, it's, it's retching. It's like a retching pain. But yeah, that there was a it was like a, it was like a like a blanket of peace, and it was it felt so good. It felt yeah. it was like this real nurturing, loving. You know, I think the the Madame X is always there right beside you, and mm-hmm. she's you know she'll like hold your hand or something, and you know she's uh, she's mama for sure in that moment. She's I like, very much understand why they suggest a male and female yeah. together as therapists to do this work. I can't imagine it any other way. Yeah. Cause there's times where you need that, you know, a little bit of toughness and, you, and then the time you need to just be nurtured. That's the other thing that I've come to sort of realize the most recent observation was with a guy who was a retired seal. I mean, he was probably in his fifties at this point and really rough go, but she essentially came in and like held him and it gave me that connection of we as human beings, we always need to be held. Yeah. Like that's not something that stops at, at being a child. Like it doesn't matter if you're 10, 20, 30, 40, 80 years old, we all still need to be held by somebody from time to time. Yeah. Like that's part of 
being able to relax and let go and everything. And I think that, you know, a lot of women get that. I mean, that, you know, they, they have a partner that holds them and that kind of thing. But I think there are so many men out there that don't get that experience. And it sounds like, it sounds kind of cheesy. It sounds kind of lame that like, oh, I just need to be held. But that was what I observed that was kind of what changed everything where it was like, where somebody could finally be like, thank you. Like I can let go now. Like I need, I just needed to be held. And I think it kind of goes back to that childhood thing is people who weren't held then, they still have to get it. Yeah. Yeah, there's something about that. Uh, I mean, that's that's the original safety, right? Is the mother's yeah. arms. Yep. That's, that's what we were saying. Like, very first safe yeah. <laughs> moment. So there's something to that. I agree, man. Got nothing's like a hug. Yeah. <laughs> Fist yeah. bump, handshake, or hug? Fist bump, handshake, or hug? <laughs> Welcome to hell. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, yeah. So okay, let's get. This is where shit gets real, man. Yeah. So uh, the mighty. So we get that mighty ready, and it's so melodramatic, you know. It can't just be here we go. Ready. You got to watch this little numbers countdown, and you're holding it there. Oh god. So uh, and then you got to pull back slow. You know, you've been doing this. Thing, you pierce your lips all tight, and it's a slow draw, and you, you know, you got to breathe basically in until you can't breathe anymore. And then hold your breath, <laughs> you know. Uh, so I do that, and uh, you know, you kind of feel yourself exhaling, but you pretty much don't exist anymore at that yeah. point, you know. They've, you got a mask on, but I, I, it's the that is the craziest feeling. I can't believe how powerful that shit is. Yeah, just full dissolve into nothing. Uh, you know, I love when we all try to put words to this stuff. You can't. You can't do it. It's but. All I know is there is no there's no awareness of my legs or my feet or my hands or my body or my face, but mm-hmm. I'm there, <laughs> you yeah. know. And uh, I'm not, I mean, uh, it's it was you know at first it felt like I was kind of traveling, um, like I threw a it's pitch black. I didn't get the white. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got this pitch black, dark black, but it, it felt like I was going somewhere. In fact, it, it, I kind of sensed like I was, it was like uh, movement. Um, and then it started getting darker. And that's hard to make pitch black darker, but it found a damn, <laughs> damn way. And it got darker and darker and darker. And suddenly it was like I was suspended. I'm going to try to metaphor it out. You ever see an interstellar? Mm-hmm. You know, he's in the black hole yeah. and all of a sudden all the sound's gone. Yeah. Because there was music playing, but then the sound's gone. Right. And it was just like... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, uh, that's kind of how it felt like, but without a body. Yeah. And I'm like, this is fucking terrifying. Yeah. And I'm like, but I'm not scared. This is weird. And I wonder if it's because of the MDMA and psilocybin. Cause I was terrified whenever oh. I thought that I was dead. Maybe now, you know, the, everyone's like, Oh, I got these messages. Mm-hmm. That's another one for me. The, um, that's that magic eye painting, right? Yeah. <laughs> so then I'm like, realize I'm having this full on argument with my own, let's call it the ego in my head, right? And we're like, uh, like, oh man, am I supposed to, everyone's supposed to meet God at this point. Is this God or am I just stuck in this blackness? Huh. Should I be getting some kind of messaging? 
And then all of a sudden I just felt like the most euphoric and powerful, loving feeling I have ever felt. Like, I didn't even know what this was. It just, it was love on another level. Uh, and I'm like, oh my God, it's the love of God. This is, I'm not, you know what I mean? I'm not the most religious person, right? Yeah. I'm like, it's the love of, this is it. This is that love. I'm at one or whatever. And then my aunt's like, no, it's not. Now I'm starting to realize, oh, wait, is that the messages? Or is that me? So if I could stop being a shithead and arguing with myself and just listen, yeah. you know, but this is what's going back and forth. Oh, is this the, is this love? Is this, is this God's love? No. No, this is your love. This is what you're capable of doing. This is how you, this is what it feels like when you love yourself. Oh boy. If there's a message, I was the once my head or whatever, I don't know, but it was, man, that was powerful. Um, and I just kind of sat in that for a moment and felt it. You know, I think I went in with the, we set intentions or whatever. And I was like, I just want to be okay with whatever it is. I want to stop trying to figure everything out. I could just start off something simple, like let my mind be at ease with whatever it is. And that's where that remembered that. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to feel what it feels like to love myself then. Because everyone's always like, you got to love yourself first. Right. And I'm like, go fuck yourself. I'm never going to love myself. I love myself totally. And I love you too. You know, Yeah. we all know <laughs> that shit ain't real, you know? So I'm in there. I'm uh, just loving on myself. And the thought was just like, hey, that other love you're talking about, there's no difference. Right? It's love in the universe. It's love for ourselves. It's all the same fucking thing. And, uh, man, it, it's so crazy right in that moment. You forget that you had a life. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're not in there thinking like, oh, I get back and wait till my friends, you know, or like, right. I can't wait to, it, it doesn't come about reality anymore at all. You're just, oh my God, what, this is amazing. Yeah. That, that was my feeling when the whiteout happened is like, i I tried so hard last minute to hold on to who I was and not die. And then felt that love and was like, oh, this is what death is. And yeah. this is amazing. And then it was like, yeah, that I've never felt that overwhelming sense of love like that ever. And then it was just like, oh yeah, it doesn't, that life that I was trying so hard to hold on to, it doesn't matter. This is what matters. Love is what matters. And then yeah. did you watch Hamilton's pharmacopoeia when he does 5-MeO? No. But so it's, it's, there's a, it's a really good episode and he does it really sketchy right next to like a Creek mm. bed. And, but he lays down and for like five minutes straight, he just goes, love, love 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 and i was like it was weird to watch yeah. prior to doing five meo and now i'm like i get it yeah <laughs> i mean like it all totally makes sense now it's hard to believe there was a human going through it yeah like i it's so funny because like that experience exists with you watching me just laying on a couch right <laughs> you know yeah i mean, I mean like, it looked like you were asleep you know yeah. what i mean like it, it's it's because at that moment you you're out you're gone oh, and yeah. it's I would love to see, I mean, I'm sure it's been done already, but I would have loved to see what your vitals were at the time yeah. because it's like, realistically, I wouldn't be surprised if you were flatlined for a little bit and then it came back. I mean, I know that that's not the case, but yeah, maybe it, it really is a, a temporary death of sorts. I don't yeah. know. I think you kind of slowly get your, you come back to life. Oh yeah. Yeah. 
It's not that long. But it, also, there's no sense of time, right? So you, right. it feels like, man, you think, I think about that time. Like, I, it's weird because I can still picture all of that mm-hmm. in my head. I, got, I have a pretty good feeling of it. It's p- powerful. Yeah. It doesn't seem like a, a day or an hour. It just, eh, it's, I don't want to sound too metaphysical, you know, but it just, there is no real time attachment to it. Right. When you did return, did you pop the eye mask up? Yeah. To see what was going on? And what, oh, yeah. what did as you see? As soon as you started feeling my body. Yeah. It was, uh, it was weird. It was, it was really visual. Yeah. Really visual. Like, uh, it was like, um, like I could see, uh, Professor X and Madame. Mm. Their sil- silhouettes or whatever, but then the background was all space. And yeah. <laughs> it was trippy. It was like I was coming, slowly fading back into reality. And now I know it's like what, it's, it's like, I'm just like really kind of enjoying that feeling. And I feel like. I feel the best I've ever felt, you know? Yeah. That was, uh... So that feeling, did that linger? Yeah. For how long? Um, we, we, uh, pushed the envelope a little that night, right? Cause we came right out and we did ketamine. Oh yeah. That was that night. Yeah. So, so let's do a mall. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So yeah, we, wrap up with you well if they wanted me to go again i was like no i got it yeah yeah exactly yeah, yeah. you know no. when you reached where you needed to reach i mean yeah, that, that yeah. was the same with me it was i didn't i didn't even need to go to pen six because i was yeah. like i got everything i wanted to learn from this i'm good you've done so much work though yeah for sure i mean i, I do really feel like five meo was like a graduation for me that it was like so much prep work and that that was the final thing not to say that I'm done, but I mean, I don't yeah. have a calling back to five MEO at this point, but so yeah. How do you feel? Cause that was my first ketamine experience. Had you done ketamine before? No. So what do you feel like ketamine helped or hurt uh, that I, place you were? Like if I go back again, I would have just skipped hey, it. I'm good. Yeah. yeah. Not that, you know, it didn't really do any damage, but it was, it's pretty rough. Yeah. Like it was a pretty violent place to go from such a peaceful place. I don't feel like there was no mess. Like there was no magical moment with it. Right. It was, it was, you know, kind of beautiful in a way and it had its own meaning, but it definitely didn't coincide Yeah. with what we were doing. It ended up having a really powerful effect for me later, but yeah, um, a different night. But, um, that night it was, I, you know, it was like, I came out of that being like, I feel this fresh start, like this kind of understanding now of what it means and this, you know, this enlightened, if you will, like, you know, that's, it's just kind of, it felt like I had a lot of work and, and pain and suffering and all this thing had accumulated in this moment. And, uh, you know, yeah, if I could go back out, that kind of was, because it was so impromptu, you know, just, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've said it before, but I legitimately felt reborn after coming back from five MEO, it was like being put in this body for the first time with an appreciation for this body that I never had before. How long do you feel like that lasted for you following that experience? Uh, I'd say, I think the timeline was, I'd say around veterans day, it kind of was the first time I started. I think right before that I started having, so here's the deal, man is, um, what I think needs to be more focused on is the work's not done in that moment, right? Yeah. That's like the, um, I don't know, like they give you a new liver. 
And if you just go keep drinking, exactly, <laughs> you know what I mean? Or it's yeah. like, like you get the little fresh start and it feels really nice and it, it's easy to get caught up in, in that moment, but you should like the amount of work you have to put to rewire and refocus your brain. If you don't do that, then you're going to go right back into the same patterns. And, you know, I, I did that. I went right back into, uh, you know, I put myself in kind of a emotionally vulnerable state with the, I was like, Oh, I'm good. I'm going to go try to be back in a relationship and do all these things. And I'm going to go back to, you know, just li- eating like shit, going through the motions. I'm just living off this high. And I didn't really make any changes in my life. And that stuff sort of wore off and all the same thing. I, I was, I think I explained to you, it was like uh, Flowers for Algernon. Did you read that book? I haven't. Well, in that book, the there's like a smart drug, right? And they, this kid's kind of, I don't know, he's uh, slow or something. You know, he's like... Um, but he's working in this lab and this, they've given this, he's made friends with this Algernon, this one of those test rats and they give this dumb rat a, a drug and he learns to do the mazes and he gets real smart. So they give it to this guy and he gets smart. And now he's like, you know, a part of society. He feels good. He's getting confidence. He has a woman. He's, he's getting this experience, all the things he never got to experience. And then it slowly starts to reverse itself. And it's almost like that, you know, the story was with, the struggle is, would it have been better to never know? Yeah. You know, and uh, that's kind of how it felt. It was like I, I was living this life where I was like suddenly full of hope and I wasn't having bad thoughts and I felt like I deserved it. And I was loving myself. You know, I was saying it out loud, which yeah. fuck, if I had ever said that, you know. And, um, and then, you know, a little, it just takes one, one little bad thing happens. Like, oh, man, see? See, here it comes. It was this karmatic thing. Even no matter, every time I try to get happy, it's going to come back and get me doesn't matter what kind of work I do. I don't deserve it. And then oh, you say once, I don't deserve love. That's all it takes one time yeah. to reopen that. And uh, it's on, we always at the Veterans Veterans Day Vets event. I'm seeing Amber Capone talk live. And she tells that story about how, hey, if you just fight, then I'll fight with you. You know, she says that less than 10 years later, here we are. I'm like, man. I'm never gonna find anyone to fight with me. And I, I know it, like their intentions are all good, but man, it crushed me. I had to go outside. So I'm just, it just hit home hard. And uh, yeah, I kinda, I just opened all those wounds right back up, like I'd never done nothing. So I find myself back at the professor's, thinking, oh, I'll just do this again and I'll get fixed. And I had, that was not the same. And it was like right to the mighty. No yeah. prep work. Let's just get in there and get it done. And this time it was the opposite. I went into the darkness. And then it was, I got hot. Like I was going to, I felt like I was burning. And it was, I started hearing screams. And I started feeling the fe- this feeling of anguish and pain in my head. It was like, this is the hurt you caused. This is the, it was the opposite. Everything was the opposite. And even when I was coming back to I'm like, uh, uh, yeah, he, he had to grab my foot cause it was cramping up, but I felt like my feet were on fire as they came back. So I started getting, it was the most horrible thing I've ever experienced. Worse than anything I could ever explain to anyone. You know, they all say, oh, you mean God, oh, and then it's just in that mindset, it's just validating. Nope. I got to see hell, you know, as this is everything I believed about myself was actually true. It was all, all that hate, all that anguish. Oh man, it was it was really interesting. I remember I opened my eyes and 
I looked at um, Madame and said, don't you ever fucking let me do this again. And she has it written down. Yeah. It was, uh, and then I got up, I sat up, and uh, I want to tell you this story, man. It's going to be tough, but they, you know, uh, abuse is not a, one of the things I saw on there, right, was this, this uh, little, it was like a, it was like a, it was like I could feel these energies of people that hurt in my life, like all these people who got real close to me and um, not physically hurt, but like emotionally hurt, right, and scared, and um, I was just going through, and then it was like I could sense this child, right, and the child was being tortured, and um, molested, just this little, um, and you know, I was like, uh, this feeling of like helplessness, like, oh, and I, I'm just feeling, I'm just making it about, oh, this is probably something else horrible I've done, you know, uh, and then as soon as I came to, I was sitting up and it was like this vivid memory that I hadn't thought about in years. And it was like, when I was like a little kid and we're supposed to go on a family vacation to Hawaii. And my oldest brother who I worshiped was going to be there, was going to go on the vacation with us. Him and his wife had just got married and they were on their honeymoon and we were going to like spend half the, which looking back is crazy, but my dad had no boundaries, but I couldn't believe it because I was so excited. So we're going to be out there with my brother and um, my little brother and, and my mom and dad, we get out to Hawaii, and I'm, I'm like, ecstatic. The other good thing is we're going to play golf. My whole life, like, dude, my dad golfed all the time. It was, like, the thing. I wanted to play golf with my dad. He'd put me, like, we'd go golfing, and he'd just, like, leave me in the gift shop while he went golfing because there was no one to watch kids, and there was no rules back then, apparently, okay. you know? So it was just, like, a board waiting, and, like, I just want to learn how to do so I can go out there. So we get out there, and he gets the golf thing, and we get there, and, uh, I guess it's more expensive or whatever. So he says, hey, me and your little brother are going to golf and you're going to sit in the car with your mom. I'm crushed. I'm crushed. And you know, we weren't allowed to say things like that. You know, we're not a bitch. You just shut up and take it or whatever. I talked about this. It was like a monster. It wasn't, it wasn't like a horrible experience. We, right. It was good, but it was just like kind of the culture or whatever. We didn't, we just didn't, we didn't say that we were upset about something. Uh, I couldn't hold it in. I started crying. And boy, for whatever I was, 13 or 12-year-old boy or whatever, to start crying was like unheard of. And so he was like so angry. And I was like, why would you do that? I wanted to play golf with you so bad. And he was like, you didn't work hard enough. Your little brother worked harder at it. And so I lost it, right? And so he threw a fit and he refused to play. He made me and my little brother play. Oh man, I didn't play. Couldn't have played any worse. Right. So every time I hit him, I scoff in. I'm just oh, it's just this humiliation, one after another. I'm just like living this moment. I think I like ended up just opening up and telling the story. Yeah. And totally repressed something you didn't remember. Prior. Yeah, I just hadn't thought about it. Yeah. But it makes you know, it's it's like opening up this channel because it's like I've lived this like every single relationship. Everything is like, as soon as things get good, I'm just like. I'm not good enough. I screwed things up. Yeah. You know, so we get back. Dad's not talking to anybody. He's not, he's just cold shouldering everyone. Won't talk to anyone. It's uncomfortable as hell. 
my brother, you found out later, used to get real mad, but he'd do that stuff to me or whatever. So my older brother, him getting a fight, he leaves. So now I don't get to hang out with my older brother at all. Everything we're doing is just like uncomfortable. And I just feel like I, I didn't think once during that whole time, oh, my dad's an asshole. I thought, you ruined it. I ruined the fucking vacation. Me telling me, like, I sh- all I had to do was just keep my mouth shut. And I, that, that, play, that was a big eye opening moment. Now, it took a long time for me to look back at that moment and like learn from it. I was so caught up in that horrible experience. All I was thinking was I was going to hell. Right. But then it was just like weird that I was like, also, let me tell you this story. You know, I think that, you know, especially you going through this, like going through something like that stuff's got to happen on a regular basis. It's dangerous. Mm-hmm. Cause I, I, you know, I went home like, man, maybe like it was almost more scary than any of the times, right? Like, yeah. And, you know, they said, they were trying to say it was because of this method that we used or whatever, this different method of... of Straight to the vaporizer. It wasn't even a vaporizer. It was like they used argon or something. It's really weird. Yeah, so they, only didn't use, they sent it back or something. Hmm. But it was like they... It almost looked like a... Like a gravity bong type thing. Okay. And they would f- use argon so that there was no oxygen in it. And as they burned it, it like f- filled up like a tube. Have you ever so heard of that? Similar to like a volcano, but similar, just a yeah. different setup. Yeah, with, and they used no, there was no oxygen in it. Okay. So I don't know if that's what it was or, but it's hard to rationalize how horrible it was, right? So, um, I mean, that's the scary part. There's, there's the yin and the yang and it's like, you don't, you saw the good side and it's like, you went to the polar opposite the next time. And it's, that's, what's tough is, you know, you, you want to go back in to try to get back to where you were. And I mean, was it essentially worse afterwards? Do you feel like there's a little bit worseness? Yeah. Um, so you leave that session yeah. just kind of like a, like it failed yeah, and essentially. It, yeah. And then I, I call my mom, uh, and she, you know, I, I bring up the story and she goes, Oh, well he was much harder to your little brother. and just dismisses it. Oh, and I'm not, I don't blame her, man. No, like, you know, it's hard to, you're just trying to be like, I want you to feel better. I'm sure, yeah. you know, but it's just like, Nope, that's the wrong way to handle that. Yeah. And then, you know, this, you know, there's some other shit that came up. It's just like, it was just kind of real dismissed. And I was like, oh man, I'm done. I'm trying to remember that there was like a, a series of events, but I ended up like somehow just by myself on Thanksgiving night eating Panda Express. I don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> it's just Panda Express. But it's, it's like just about the lowest of the low. You know? yeah. And I was like, no way to really call or... I was just kind of in this real sense of aloneness. And what, so what is the headspace? Cause I'm curious, you know, cause yeah. Will went through this too. And in my mind, I'm like, why didn't you call me? Like what, what's the thought process there? Uh, have you been, you've been in the darkness, right? Yeah. Did you call people? No. Yeah, I guess I I hear you. I mean, it, yeah, you feel like you don't want to be a burden. You don't want to. Nobody wants to be the yeah. burden. I tried it once, and it uh, didn't go so well. Yeah. Yeah. 
I don't know if there's much you can do. But you did. Did I not? I mean, it was you that got me out of it. Was that on Thanksgiving? Or, or it must have been a little bit after. Yeah, I don't think it was on Thanksgiving. but So that, that was the final psychedelic treatment you did with them then? Was that Argon 5-MeO? Nah. I did one, I did one more uh, Sunset Ketamine. Okay. Um, oh, right. With, and how did that go for you? Now, that was beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, but that was not, I mean, that was about the people I was with. And then was that ketamine experience pre or post us catching that was, up? That was post. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, completely off the topic of psychedelics at this point, but one of the things that I've kind of talked about a lot here and it's interesting because i think you know huberman even mentioned it on his psilocybin podcast he dropped today and you alluded to it earlier too is that when you come back from the experience you got to change things yeah and so the thing that we talked about was fasting and ketosis right and it's yeah it has nothing to do with psychedelics at this point but yeah. it's like it is very beneficial for TBI and anything going on in the brain. Right. I mean, it's, it's fascinating what ketosis can do to improve the brain. And so you gave it a go. Yeah. And to be honest, I didn't give it a go because I believed that, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, you did, you know, you, you, um, you, you reached out and you were just, which is dope, right? Like that's like, it, it is, it is hard when someone's in a bad place, you know? And it's like, you go, like, what are the right answers? I think you even talked about it on the last podcast. Like, you were like, what What do you say? And there really isn't uh, a right answer. You can't. Maybe someone needs you to fix it. Maybe someone needs you to just listen. Yeah. Maybe, and maybe someone needs, yeah, like, uh, I don't want I'm saying, like, you know, if someone was like, oh, I had this really hard experience. And someone's like, yeah, that sounds horrible. Or, or it probably wasn't that bad. Or, like, they, you know, they tried to make you feel better about it by right. saying it wasn't doesn't help. Or you can be like, man, I can't believe you had to make that decision. You know, like those are, you know, maybe taking that approach. There's all these things, but really it's just a fucking crapshoot. You could say the right thing or the wrong thing, you know, yeah. and maybe you're, maybe that's where we listen to that Vegas nerve. Tell us what to do, you know, like yeah. instinct. But I was feeling at the time, like, you know, I knew that I had fucked up the opportunity by, not doing anything in my life and changing. And I know that I have all these ambitions still. And when I was younger, you know, when I do things, I was like, I set out to do something. I did it. Mm -hmm. Not kind of like how you feel with uh, nothing could stop me. Right. And now I feel like I can't, I can't remember to brush my teeth, you know, like at this point, like I can like uh, any follow through, yeah. I'm going to make my bed today. Nope. Like the base bare minimum things. I just can't follow through with anything. No discipline. Zero. You know, you brought up the thing, and you actually sent a podcast that I listened to. I think it was Huberman or, or Peter T or somebody, mm -hmm. but it was about the ketosis. Yeah, and I'd never really heard about it being actually used for mental health. Or TBI, whatever. yeah. But, but I tell you what, you you then you said you were going to do it, right? Mm -hmm. You're like, I'm going to do. This. You weren't like, hey, you should do this. Right. You're like, I'm feeling like I need this. Oh, you said you were going to do a 48 hour fast, and then bone broth after and then that. Bone broth, and then carney yeah and then whatever and i'm like oh man that sounds like some stretch and i'm like you know what? i don't even know if i could do a 24-hour fast and so like, i'm gonna try that i'm gonna try to set out to do a 24-hour fast do one thing yeah and then I, I did that 24-hour fast and i 
I was shocked. I never. I don't think I've ever done a real twenty-four hour fast where yeah. it's just water. And I was like, I felt great, you know. And I'm like, I'm gonna do forty-eight. And I got, I'd say, most of the way through to forty-eight. The dinner the next night, I tried the bone broth thing. I was like, mm -hmm. I need something. But it was, you know. Then I, now I had like energy, and I noticed a, a visceral shift in my mood, and my energy level, and my um, sleep, and. Sometimes you just need that, you know. Uh, old Jordan Peterson says that, like, the, like if you're gonna make changes, make them in these small increments, right? Mm. I think I did that for about a a week. I I, did, I was just carnivore, and boy, I was, I was not healthy when we started. <laughs> so man, I started dropping weight. I started feeling better. I think, uh, and that's when I went and I I reached out during that same time. I reached out to uh, another guy who's a Navy SEAL, and then this was like, hey, we need, like, how are you doing? He was kind of struggling, too. He was going through some stuff, and this, um, yeah, that we both met, who was Marine, was also out there doing the program, and so I went to do the uh, Sunset Academy with the two of them, and it was, you know, that's a really interesting thing, because you're, you know, you you start with the people, you're kind of connected to these people, right, and you're, they, it's there's an intention as you watch the sunset you kind of lose you have to stay grounded by staying connected because you can't associate right mm -hmm. is that kind of their thought process behind it i don't I, i've never really heard their explanation for it oh. i think what i gathered was just that when you experience ketamine in nature in sunset where everything just has a beauty to it that it seems to be able to snap any suicidality that may be huh. there yeah, it was, I mean, it was, a design. I don't know if it really, I, what I think is it was like a nice, um, it has a similar thing with the neuroplasticity, right? Mm -hmm. So whatever that was, was like reaffirming in like the direction we were going. But it was also really connecting with these, you know, these two brothers. We were sitting there and we, I don't think we could have held each other any tighter. Yeah. You know? And it was just, um, you know, there was a point where, we boosted and then we came down and I was done. I was ready for it to be over and they went for more. And then I just sat there as a, in a sober sense, just holding them and kind of getting to see that, like probably what you saw, some of that outside perspective. And there was something, uh, that felt like almost like a little bit of a crossover, you know? Yeah. And that was pretty much it, right? Yeah. I mean, how long has it been since that ketamine ceremony? Oh, uh, that was just like right after, like end of November. So, I mean, some time has passed. Yeah. And I mean, how you feel now? I feel great. Yeah. I've lost, you know, 50 pounds. I've stopped smoking. I mean, you I just look healthy. so much healthier. Yeah. You look so much brighter. And I always wonder, like, do I need to go back? Because, like, get back on the horse. But there's really isn't. It it feels like, uh, you know, it feels like I saw the, the yin and the yang. Yeah. And the good and the bad. And... You know, there's been like some integration work, like, oh, that that horribleness is impossible to, like, you couldn't, like, if you, these are the things you're saying you're feeling, but it's not survivable, right? Like, yeah. like no one can really harness that kind of negative energy. So maybe there was like just a little lesson of like, or you can keep treating yourself this way or treating you good. You know, there's a lot of fun little lessons you can pull from it, whether there's means, but I, you know, I feel good about the role it played. It and did kind of take me down to a place where. I had to 
forcibly make some changes and I had no one to lean on. Yeah. Like the only person that reached out was Sean. What's up, baby? (laughs) (laughs) But how do you feel like your connection is now with your daughter? It's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. We did a trip back to, oh man, boy, you want to, you were like, ah, he hasn't cried yet. I'm going to get him. (laughs) (laughs) No, we're going somewhere with this, but I'll let you finish. (laughs) Yeah. They, uh, oh man, it's, it is, it's, uh, it's pretty powerful. They, I don't feel any of that anymore. Like the, I don't connect it. It's just not there. You know, I know those events happened and that, but I, I, there is no association between the two. And we did a trip with, she brought her friend and we went back to Utah. I don't want to just be from second one. I've loved this girl. Like I've never not been in right. I've been there for every father daughter dance. I've been there for every big dance thing. You know, I show up and she, I don't even think she would even know that I have those internal struggles that she'll leave. And then I destroy myself. You know what I mean? Like, but now it's just like, we talk about stuff that's so real and uh, like I feel like we have such a good relationship. We went out to Utah. We skied all day together. And I didn't want, like, usually you go out to Utah and I was just like, I don't want to be alone. I want to screw this up. I don't want to be boring. But, man, I just loved it. I didn't want to hang out with any other friends. All I want to do is be around her. Yeah. We drove back and it was just, uh, man, I think that's the most powerful thing ever. The reason that I brought that up is because... I can't tell you how many people that I've seen struggling and said, like, I really think this plant medicine route can help you. And time and time again, I hear people say, but I'm a parent. I can't do these things. And it's, I so many times seen people say I am a much better parent because I did these things. Now I don't know in this life that I will find myself as a father or not, but I am so grateful that, I was able to unpack and unlock and understand the way the human psyche works before ever having to be a parent because the few things we just talked about now, you don't understand the minor things you can say to a child that will have a lasting effect forever. And I don't want, I wouldn't want to be, I wouldn't want to have to go through this now and then be like, shit, my kid is going to have, is going to be 30 years old doing these things yeah. to have to unpack some of this shit. That, and I mean, don't get me wrong. I think you can, you can get ahead of that as a parent and you can be like, Hey, you remember this yeah. time that that happened? Yeah. I fucked up. And uh, I'm sorry about that. She got some podcast people like, and then my dad said, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, even, even like some things that, you know, not that crazy that I brought up with my dad that, I had unpacked an ayahuasca and when I told him about it, he was like, Oh, I don't even remember that, but that was fucked up. Yeah. Like I, and I'm sorry. And so it was one of those, and like, it's that, that little bit of apology, although I didn't need it, it, it kind of let that go. You know what I mean? I was already, I had already let it go, but it was like that last little piece of like putting that to rest. And, but it was, you know, even, um, so the Marine who joined you on that last ketamine ceremony, yeah. when he did it with us that first time, first thing he did was call his daughter. Yeah. And he said, I, I need to see my family. So it's like so many people, if they didn't have a reason to live, even having kids, that kid became that reason to live and they are a better parent for it. So I don't know. I just hope this message finds anybody out there that's hesitant to do this because they're a parent and they're worried about changing who they are or something like that it's like you're you're gonna change yourself for the better no one yeah. changes themselves for the worse absolutely yeah i mean it just 
I mean, if anything, it just gives you clarity on what's important. Right. Priorities. Yeah. And yeah. it just maybe allows you to open up channels of love you didn't have before. Mm -hmm. It's not going to close them. Yeah. Shit. What do I know? I might close them. <laughs> <laughs> the one thing I found out through this whole thing is I know nothing. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I don't think there's ever getting an answer to everything here. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it really does feel like tapping into that source, whatever you want to call it, that it kind of gives you a leg up. It does really kind of feel like that that's what that unplugging from the matrix or waking up is, but it doesn't give you anything. We will never know. I, I don't think there's any way of knowing what comes when this ends. And I think it's cheating if you were to know, or you wouldn't be able to really yeah. take advantage of life on this earth. If you knew what the past life was or what the future holds for all of us. And there's that Eastern philosophy coming back. Out Get again. it. Yeah. Okay. Let's do aliens now. <laughs> but no, man, I feel like I don't Got know. It off. Yeah. Like I said, I, I was really stoked to do this one because it was, it shows that it's not a one and done. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was a, this was four, five Amio ceremonies, yeah. two ketamine sprinkled in there. And that just goes to show like there, there's, there's a lot of different ways that this can be done. There's, there's so many different therapeutic approaches and different molecules and all that kind of thing. But I think regardless of which route you go, it's never one and done. Yeah. And so there's a lot of work that can be done. And again, even though you went to the heaven realm and came back and were on top of the world, there was still some stuff that needed to be unpacked. Oh, yeah. And I think that it was, even though that was super difficult going back in and it really does seem to be like those ones that suck to where yeah. you say, don't let me do this again. I like, I have, that used to be a chalkboard wall right there. And I wrote on there, don't ever do mushrooms again oh, really? after one of my experiences and then erased yeah. it the next day and did mushrooms again. But, Get it. <laughs> it, but it's those difficult experiences that I feel like I learned the most from. Yeah. And I think that if you hadn't unpacked that golfing experience, yeah. that like it would have just stayed in there and festered and became something again. Yeah. And I think it gave a little self-awareness. And I think that, uh, I also think the darkness actually in that place got me to, you know, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a darkness with a weakness. It was, it felt defeated. And then it was like, I found some strength within that out of the aloneness. Like there was no one I could call and make feel bad for me. You right. know, there was no one I could, I didn't want to, it was too embarrassing at that point to reach out to anyone else and be like, Oh, it happened again. Feel yeah. sorry for me. There was, there was none of that energy. It was like, I got to do something, you know? And I think that was a lesson I needed to learn because I had gotten so caught up in that. And that's still a problem. Like I, you know, it, it's not, I still got work to do. Yeah. I'm gonna have to get in something, and, but, uh, I'm still learning about myself, but I do notice it, you know, like I'll get into a, it's like such a ingrained thing now to start to feel sorry for myself. And it is less, not a purposeful manipulation, but it is like a trying to make people see me and, and feel bad for me or something. I don't know what that is, but I gotta, I, I'm super hyper aware of it now. And even when it starts, I kind of try to take myself out of the situation, but it makes me nervous. But I think, uh, the good news is, is now I got a, a real awareness of where some of that comes from. And there's probably more stuff to learn yeah. from that child and more things to forgive them and myself for. Mm -hmm. I think it's a good place to call it, man. Let's do it. Yeah. Thanks so much for coming on and doing this. Dude, thank you for everything. You've been a, 
You've been a nice little light through this whole thing, and I love you. Love you too, Bradley.